If you had one shot, one opportunity, one opportunity. Here you go, and that's the opener for our uh, next podcast. And our next guest is one. I'm not going to say an only because that's what I always say. That is the one, Mr. Lawrence in the house. What's up, my man? What is going on? I actually, thank you, thank you, thank you. I love that we got we had lose yourself playing because I remember the night that I saw the movie. I remember it came out. I was getting high in Toronto, all alone, and just like I couldn't wait to see this movie. And I remember seeing this movie. What movie? What's it called? Eight Miles. Eight Miles, yeah, yeah. And I'm just like walking like late in the Toronto night downtown home to my condo and just being like, oh, yeah, I wouldn't be a fucking rapper. How long was that? <laughs> how long ago yeah, was that? That's like 20 years ago. 20 years ago. And you were 12? No. <laughs> You're 41? No, how old are you now? I'm 42. You're 42? Yeah, 12. 30 years ago. 20 years ago, bro. Wasn't oh, it? fuck me. 22. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was, Lawrence was just giving me shit for my spelling and now even my math sucks. Like, what else? What else? <laughs> Anyways, Lawrence, uh, listen, great that you're here. You you're a very busy me. man. Uh, you talk a lot with your phone. Um, <laughs> very busy. And at my phone. And at your phone. Uh, so just a little bit how we met. We met last year here in uh, Changu in Bali. And uh, where was it? It was our chum's birthday party. Our chum's birthday party, yeah. That was yeah. the first time we met. I'd seen you on stage before. Oh, right. Yeah. You have to tell what, because I've done a lot of things on the stage. You were doing life. comedy. I, I was like checking out the comedy scene, and there was this guy, this, <laughs> this Latvian dude. <laughs> with horrible spelling. <laughs> the Latvian dude with horrible spelling. The Latvian Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, because I was doing the splits. That's the only thing I could do at the time. Um, and then you are uh, from Canada, more or less. Is that where you're from? Toronto. Toronto. That's not Canada. That's Canada. That's a city. <laughs> it's a city. It's a city in Canada. Yeah. Um, and then uh, it was very interesting, peculiar for me, because your Russian was perfect, you know, more or less. When you more spoke Russian, I was like, oh, shit, so where are you from? But then he spoke English. It was even better. So you lived... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you, you. You came from... How long have you been now in Bali? 21 months. Is that how you called it? Not in days. <laughs> Not in days. No, because I remember. I remember when I got here. I got here on March fifteenth, twenty twenty. Like right before, like right at the beginning of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So right at the beginning, and I remember being like, "Oh fuck! If I'm here a month, then I kind of live here." And then like, oh, I can't wait. This could be two months. Then I really live. Oh here. shit! I can't wait. This could be yeah. Like I was counting the months to be like I wanted to feel local. I wanted to feel like I wanted to see how long I would stay. I was living in Moscow before. Right. And like this was like, I mean, I'd been in Bali before, but I really wanted to transform my life. And then the world presented this amazing opportunity to do that. But I really wanted, there's a part of me like internally that wanted to ground this and make this real. And I would count the months. So I'm still counting the months. Every time the 15th of a month comes, I'm like, oh, it's my birthday. Mm, That's interesting. Okay. I think now we can move to the uh, section, which (laughs) is about... uh, Basically about you a little bit, like uh, where you grew up, where you were raised, a little bit of your family. Yeah, I grew up in Toronto. I was raised in the Toronto suburbs, mostly they're called Thornhill and Richmond Hill. Doesn't matter. But just outside of Toronto, um, my my parents are both Soviet born. They were born in the Ukraine, but like they were like the first batch of Soviet born people that were allowed to exit the country because they were because they're Jewish and there was like oh, shit. have you ever you I don't know if you know this but I think it was Nixon and whoever the president or whatever of Russia was he had this deal a trade deal where Russia needed wheat so the US gave Russia wheat and Russia gave released Jews 
first of all, when you said President Nixon of Russia. No, no, no. President Nixon and then the Russian president. And like the Russian Resmanov president. or something. Yeah, so they had Resmanov. His name is something like what it sounds uh, other way around. <laughs> Reverse. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, and uh, so the deal was that they would give them some wheat. It was wheat for Jews. Wheat for Jews. Yeah. Fuck. So, my, so that's how I ended up being born in Toronto. Wow. That is a story, man. That's something. Yeah, that that's is crazy. Story. Okay, sisters, brothers. I have a brother and a sister. My sister is four years younger than me, and my brother's eight years younger than me. So mm-hmm. my, I have, I have nieces. My sister's got two daughters. All right. Mm-hmm. I have three. I have two nieces, one nephew. That's Boom. amazing. I'm, be- I'm better than you. I don't know if it's competition. <laughs> Are they vaccinated? <laughs> Different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it's like if they're vaccinated it cancels it out yeah it's nothing like about like how do, do they do some like uh sports and stuff are they talented no are they vaccinated shit that's a new measurement now yeah. um and then with your sisters uh so your sister and brother they both in back in back in canada Yeah, my or? whole family's like still in toronto like they haven't right. really left cool yeah, it's me that's been traveling so i was living in toronto until i was 23 and then I moved to Vancouver, Canada, which is like the West Far Coast. I lived there for two years. Yeah. You lived in Vancouver? Yeah, I lived in Vancouver for two years. The 604? Uh, 604, yeah, that's the code uh, yeah, for yeah. The, the phone number. Yeah, yeah, what shit. Did you do? What did you do in Vancouver? Um, I was trying to figure out what to do with my fucking life, man. It's a good I, city to figure it I out. I escaped Latvia, yeah. Um, it wasn't uh, weed, weed for Latvians. <laughs> Unfortunately, the, we didn't get that deal. It's called a program called the Youth Mobility Program. And so you can um, get visa for a year to work and travel. And uh, I literally just lost my job. I lost my business. And I broke up with my ex. Broke up with her after four years being together. And I was kind of like, I need a new page. Like, new chapter is about to start. But I didn't know what's when and how it's going to happen. And then, as they say it here, what is the word they say? I... When you when something happens when you're in your life in Ubud, what did they say? You have a synchronicity. No, <laughs> <laughs> you're an you're an awakening. It you're just kind of arrives from nowhere. How do you say a it? realization? Realization. No, this is a different word. Anyways, um, a Kundalini rising. <laughs> Kundalini rising. Uh, walking. An, epi- an epiphany. An epiphany. Um, no, no, this is oh, shit. I can't remember that word because like they would say. Uh, this girl recently she posted something on on Instagram and she says, "Oh, look at this! I manifested. I manifested oh. a new coach. So that's you how manifested Vancouver. Yeah, and I'm, I yeah manifested because from nowhere my friend comes in and he's like, let's uh, let's go to Canada. Yeah, and uh, I have you know that it's easy to get this visa. So I went for one year, uh, stayed for another year. I ended up being in Saskatoon for about like a half a year, a I've year never almost. Been to Saskatoon, but there are nice people there. Every time I meet a Saskatchewan person. They're always awesome. That's the thing. When I was in Vancouver and I said, like, I'm going to go to Saskatoon. It's like, what is wrong with you, man? Yeah, for sure. Like, what the it's fuck? A, it's minus 30, 40 degrees Celsius there. Yeah, it's like somebody from Changu going to Ubud, basically. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Why ain't going to fucking Ubud? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, no. No, it's not. No, I don't think it's as that as bad. But, yeah, I lived in Saskatoon for, for a year and 100% people are super nice. Like one thing, I, w- I was just like, "What?" Because I was doing door-to-door sales in minus thirty degrees. I would go from house to house, and I was paddling a cable television 
Shaw Cable. You should, Shaw Cable, you know, for sure, Shaw Cable, sure. of course. I was going to be like, is it Rogers? Yeah, no, 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 it was Shaw Cable. They had a fucking a perfect bundle, like super deal. And then, and it was quite easy to sell it, to be honest. I was actually, in about four months, I became one of the best sales guys in Canada. Wow. Um, the reason was because I wasn't trying to sell. I was just trying to get in a warm room and just talk to people. <laughs> and because you have an accent. And I think people in Canada are open to that. Like Especially Saskatoon, because there's a lot of people from Ukraine. Like, Boom. So yeah, they yeah. felt that Eastern European. They're yeah. like, oh, he's one of us. Come right in. Chai, pichinia. Let's go. Dude, it was even <laughs> crazier. Right before Christmas, I had three invitations from the Ukra- three different Ukrainian families to celebrate Christmas with them. Wow. And I was insane I mean, because it was like, I said yes to all three of them. One was in the morning, one was lunch, one was night. <laughs> <laughs> and then one of them, like this biggest Ukrainian family, and they were like crazy about. They're like, "Oh, so you speak Russian?" I was like, "Yes," and and they like could say like three words in Russian, and and I understood what they say. And like, oh my god, this is amazing! And I end up uh, celebrating Thanksgiving with them. Well, Canadians celebrate mm-hmm. they their in own October. Thanksgiving. Yeah, in October. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, what what was the for Americans? What month? November. Was that? November. They're a month later. How come is it different? I don't know how come it's different. I have no clue. I mean, everything done, I don't even know. Like, I'm going to make this up. Like, I have my own, like, theories. Everything done in America is based on the market and economy. The Thanksgiving that happens in America is is exactly one month before Christmas. So Uh. it's almost like, what don't they call it Cyber Monday or something like that? You know that Cyber Monday? That's, like, the Monday after American Thanksgiving. So basically, like... The Christmas shopping season begins now. <laughs> so everybody takes a day it's off, insane. get pigs out, and then they go shopping. It's insane. I was watching, uh, re-watching again the um, th- South Park and uh, the uh, uh, Black Black Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, is it not Black Friday? Well, Boxing Friday. Was it Boxing, Boxing Friday? Day? Boxing Day. Why do they call it Friday? Is it not Friday? Good Friday is a, a oh, that's holiday. A it's like an Easter thing. Yeah. So it's a Boxing. What do you call it? Boxing Day. It's Boxing the day, day after Christmas. Yeah, so the, all the crazy Americans run in these stores. And Canadians gra- too, yeah. Grabbing stuff and people yeah. should get killed and, and yeah. hurt and stuff. Yeah, it's, <laughs> like all, it's like the Christmas season is over. Now all the sales are, yeah, they go crazy. No, but, oh, yes, I know what I'm saying. It's because it's in, in, in the UK, they call it Black Friday. Mm. Yeah, that's what I was just got confused. Black Friday, Boxing Day. And then in States, it's Boxing Day. Yeah, because uh, in UK it's not this crazy, but very similar. Also, people just standing in the queues and shit, running for that shit. But you lived in Vancouver. Let's go back to that first. Let's second. go. Let's go. How up. good was Vancouver? Vancouver was amazing. Like honestly. small city, best Beautiful. weed in the world, the best, best mushrooms in the world. Those who don't know, it's called BC Bud, and BC Bud goes literally the old North America's crying for BC Bud. That and anywhere in the states, when you ask about what is the best weed, BC Bud. BC Bud. Yeah, everybody knows that. That city changed my life. Mm. Changed my life. It was so good to live there. I started doing yoga there. Mm. I do, I'm do. i a yoga teacher, guys, like for the last 15 years. And 20 years ago, I started practicing yoga in Vancouver. My first like serious real yoga class was when I moved to Vancouver Like a, within a few days. I right. started doing hot yoga there. And, um, and I, w- I moved there as an actor. All right. So I started like going like, but I was like, I wasn't like really an actor. I was a schmactor. Like, <laughs> like I was like, I have a nice smile, like put me on TV. And there was a lot of like American TV shows like the WB, like Smallville and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I look like I should be on an American TV show. But like I had no talent at all. I was just like my mo- grandma always told me I was yeah. cute. And I was but like, you don't need talent. You need confidence. You're 100% right. I didn't have confidence. Yeah, just need fucking confidence. I, I mean, because I mean, I've been in the film industry now for six years as a stunt performer. Like, there's sometimes what I meet people on a, on, a, on a set. It's just like, 
the confidence they exude is like, oh, I done this and then and after you look at that guy, like most of that has been extra work on certain films, and then they say that they've done them. Um, but yeah, so how did you get into acting? So before that, did you go to school, high school? What did you do for university? A university, I went for one year in a school called University of Western Ontario to this program called Media Information and Technoculture, and I was like, didn't know what the fuck was going on. Right. I was like, I don't like. Uh. You went there because you just had no idea what you want to do. Or? I had no idea, and I was doing what everybody else was doing. It was like I, uh. I graduated high school. I was playing baseball in high school. That was like my passion. Mm-hmm. Um, I w- went to university because that was the next thing that like everybody at school did. Went there and I had no learning skills. Hmm. I had no, I had no attention span. Like I was really good at watching TV back in the day. Like I watched wrestling really good, yeah, yeah. dude. I knew everything about like what was going on in the Oscars, like Entertainment Tonight, I baseball. Like I knew everything about sports, but like you sit me down and like tell me that like I have to read this and then like like there was no passion behind that. Yeah. And after one year, I was like, no, I'm not going back. I can really relate to that as well. The same thing. I went to study business, but you did one year. I did fucking six, six, seven years. Do you, did you get anything? Like that sounds like you would integrate some kind of information. No, I hundred percent. I think the the biggest what I got from it was uh, dealing with people, like uh, human relationships or people relationships, kind of. Uh, because I would meet the crazy amount of uh, Latvian kids who really didn't know what the fuck they want to do with their life. And they would just be in this university. And I was part of the student parliament. And student parliament was very active organizing parties, events. That was the best time of my life. My first, second year, I was drunk most of the time. Uh, <laughs> very proud. It feels to me like those are the most important life skills. Like the ability to organize people. The ability to understand that you can gather and create events. 100%. And, cre- and that's where I started seeing events and parties. And that's where I also realized that I love being on stage. As a, as a youngster, I did theater a little bit, and I did, like, a poetry reading, whatever they call the uh, reci- recycling, recycling. Um, and, um, but then, th- but then uh, there was a university, and they had a Christmas ball, and they were like, who wants to be an MC? I was like, I will do it. And then since then, literally on that day, I got a business card from someone saying, like, oh, come to our agency, and we're going to hire you. And then I was starting MCing events and parties. Cool. I yeah. like MCing too. Yeah. I love posting. It was so much fun. So much fun. And that also gives me a huge edge uh, for doing stand-up. Because, 100% because yeah, you're because comfortable on stage. Yeah, I'm comfortable on stage, but also I'm comfortable to improvise. I notice very rarely stand-up comedians, they stand and go out of their material, so they're very rigid to it. Like literally last Friday, from nowhere I thought I'm going to change something and it worked perfectly because I could feel that the audience would like that. I was like, let's change this one. And it was like, ah. Yeah, yeah. That's I love going to improv. That's my favorite thing to mm. do. But it's scary as shit. Mm. Improv, I think I just didn't really get a very good experience. Who'd you go? Um, here? Well, I came here as well. It was dog shit. Um. <laughs> <laughs> now I want to know with who. <laughs> You're never going to find out. There was somewhere far, far north, somewhere in the forest. <laughs> <laughs> with elves. <laughs> with elves. And mushrooms. Let's improvise it. <laughs> <laughs> and nymphs. I can improvise to get high and just do weird shit. Um, no, yeah, it just didn't have a really good experience. And similar was actually with the stand-up. I tried a little bit in UK. I bombed in a sense. like I, I wasn't prepared. I had no clue what to do. Literally, I had no, like, there's some kind of... Uh, uh, so like what kind of uh, how to ride it any of that and then when I got on Bali I met these guys uh, with Chris and everyone and I just realized actually um, 
you know, there's a there's a way to do it, and they were helping me, and that that made a huge difference, you know. Totally. Just looking at anything. So you moved to Vancouver and changed your life. Uh, you were 22 years old. 23 uh, when I moved. 20, 23. That's very important. The difference 22 or 23. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. also probably the weather-wise, you fucking loved it, dude. Vancouver is completely different. I lived in Toronto. I moved to Vancouver. I was like, oh, it's Canada. It's going to be exactly the same, only mountains and better weather. Mm. But it was a completely different city. Toronto is like, it's like New York City a little bit in comparison to Vancouver. Really? There's a lot of like, yeah, everybody's like going. And like I grew up, like everybody around me was Jewish growing up. And then there was, uh, there was like, I, I was an actor in Toronto too. So there was like a gay community that was like super gay. Like my agent was like, hello, you know, like a big black guy that wanted to rape me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I was just like, hey, I'm just like a little Jewish kid from the suburbs. And oh, you, you like do you want to work oh <laughs> and, um, my God. Um, and then i moved to vancouver and everybody's like white and like i guess we call it like waspy like it was just very like conservative and like mm. very, like very clean and everybody was like really like well behaved it was completely mm. different it was definitely a culture shock it's interesting sure. for you how you see those differences like for me obviously it's very different because i'm coming from totally different totally, background right. i was just like a fucking alien there i never seen like a uh, skyscrapers like the tall yeah. buildings and there's no tall buildings yeah and there's like <laughs> some like four of them five of them you know and that, and then for me, that was like, oh my god! I'm literally. I have one of my photos. First photos I ever took in Vancouver was like with a skyscraper. I was like, oh my god, look at this, bro! I, I mean, <laughs> after Vancouver, not to like jump ahead, but I'm gonna. I, li I moved to Hong Kong, and I lived in Hong Kong for three mm. years, and then I moved back to Vancouver. And at the time I was living in Vancouver, I kept getting these job offers in Sydney, and and I was like, hmm. No, 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 no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plant here. I'm going to stay here. I'm, I don't want to move again. Like, I'm going to try and stay in Canada. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I would keep walking that, like, I don't know, three miles. Like, Vancouver's so small. Like, from Camby all the way to Robson. Like, it's a small city. And I just keep walking. I'm like, this is a fucking village, man. This yeah, yeah, I understand. village is so small. And, I like, after saying no to Sydney twice, I was like, oh, fuck this. I got to get out of here. Like, I couldn't. Mm -hmm, I was there for, like, mm -hmm. two months when I came back after years of living there. Right, that's very interesting because after two years in Canada, I went to Latvia and like in a week, I realized there's no way I'm staying here. Because mm -hmm. for me, it was the main reason why I went and I kind of ran away to, to like just anywhere was uh, that I wanted to just escape for a couple of years and just kind of free, free my head after all the relationships. But then I, as I got back after two years, I realized this for me was massive culture shock. That was like first to come, time. To come home. Yeah, to come home. And also like I was still kind of not, I don't think I was still um, over my ex. So I was struggling with that as well. And then in two weeks, I, I figured out I'm going to go back to Canada. And then I became a student in, in, uh, on the Barnaby Mountain in Simon Fraser's University. Oh, cool. I studied journalism. For, for a little How'd while. How'd that go? Like Canadian University? It was good. It was good. I mean, like I, I did the IELTS test and everything. Like I think I, I'm partly um, uh, dyslexic. So that's why I struggle with writing. And it's in any language. So I write Russian, Latvian as well. And same shit. Um, but uh, I think, and that's one of the reasons why I thought podcast is better for me. Because I can just talk shit and um, get some information out. And I know, you know, any any anyone who listens to this is probably going to find thousands of different grammar mistakes in my language, but I don't really care. I think it's bullshit. Like, one of the things that I'm doing right now is I am not an English teacher, but because I have so many Russian students, and we'll probably get to that at some point yeah. through my yoga world, um, 
I have been doing coaching program helping Russians what I call acquire English language mm. and a hundred percent of what I do because if they want a fucking English teacher because Russians are like they're like studious and very academic so they're like we need structure yeah, we yeah. need to know grammar and I'm like you're coming to the wrong guy if you want mm, that mm. but what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna let you be you you're yep. gonna you're gonna figure out you need to discover your English speaking personality because mm. like you said about acting, you need to have confidence to make mistakes and improvise because the only way you can learn anything is by going, making mistakes and doing and, it yeah. and, and having like the real stress and pressure of the real moment yeah to fix it hundred percent yeah totally so. agree totally agree also uh, in any examples, anything what I've done any like physical uh, like stuff in the past I, I started doing gymnastics when I was 27 which is super late and uh, got my gymnastics done late. for like a British stunt register for the certain level never done high diving jumping from 10 meters in the water not just like pencil drop but like jump like upside down backflips front flips and when I saw it first time there's no way I can do it. But then I realized that all of those things have a system. You start with little one, you grow, you grow. But the only way to do it is to do it. You know, and like with podcasts as well, like we, when we when I started with Chris and he's like, oh, how are we going to do it? What are we doing? Listen, doesn't matter. Let's just do it. Yeah, and, and then eventually every next episode was that oh the camera angle was wrong or oh, the sound wasn't right so and let's improve it let's improve it but if we would just sit and like oh let's get the best equipment like let's make everything perfect and then we're gonna do it now we're gonna happen it's interesting because the impression I had of you from like the few times we met is that this guy like even the way that you wrote me that Instagram message recently when you're like yo I'm back in town let's vote you know like you're, <laughs> you're like let's go and bang I, th I think for first two weeks I was just like partying all the time because it was Christmas it was New Year's I'm Year's. like I don't want to hang out with this guy at all yeah, like yeah. I mean he's nice like I, he's cool like I, I like that in, in so a funny. perfect world be nice to get to know him but like I just don't have that in me right now <laughs> and then I'm like come do podcasts and you're like what yeah but what well, the reason I'm saying that is because it sounds like you're like you're, you have systemized how to get shit done mm. like it's actually attractive to me to be sitting here with you right now I'm like oh man this is the kind of person that I would like to work with because Basically, systematically, your system is just keep doing it. Like yeah. consistency. Yeah, consistency. And one of the things is like what I noticed in Western culture, like in UK, I could see that all the time. Uh, with some of the guys who would do stunts together, it doesn't matter. They love talking. Oh, man, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. It's going to be the best. We're going to do it. And three weeks later, so how come we haven't done anything? Oh, man, I was just busy. I was just uptight. And it's like all these bullshit excuses. And I was like, no, if you say you do something, we just do it. And then very early, I realized, like, what people want to be surrounded uh, with me, like, around me. It was just like, you know, I can't stand bullshitters. And they love just talking, talking. Like, no, let's just do it. Stop fucking talking. Let's just do it. That's really interesting to, like, go into the depth of it. It's like talking is a feminine trait. Mm. So, mm. like, as much as... We're talking here. There's like a sense of doing, but talking like women love to fucking talk about nothing. Right. Mm. That's why like in relationships, there's so many fights because a man always wants to solve the fucking problem. Mm. And a woman's like just wants to share. And that's what men have to learn in many relationships is just learn how to like just listen mm. so she can talk. Give her that runway so she can do like she can, you know, get some momentum and like get the shit out. It's this emotional kind of processing yeah. where we as men want to um we want to solve problems but what happens this is a really interesting thing like if you're talking about those guys that's like that's a feminine trait that these guys are just fucking like emoting they're mm. not really speaking anything interesting i mean like mm. if they're not doing and that's that's something that i learned actually when i did something called the landmark forum have you ever heard of the landmark forum <laughs> it's a personal and professional 
um, development organization that I started in Canada. And then when I moved to Russia, I became like one of their like main ambassadors and leaders. Do they have some kind of like yeah, uh, they have page? A site. Yeah, it's just landmarkforum.com probably. Um, but anyways, the reason that I brought them up, I work for them, ruined Shut my up. life. <laughs> Shut up. Don't, don't comment on my spelling, you dick. <laughs> no, I'm just reading the second one. Landmark Forum ruined my life. Landmark oh. <laughs> Forum cult. <laughs> I thought he was just commenting my thing. Landmark um, Forum. But what, what I learned from Landmark is integrity. And like what, in, what that word means, not just as like a symbol or as a, an idea, but what it actually means. And what it means, at least in like Landmark, is that you do what you say you're gonna do yeah. if you don't do it you take responsibility for the mess that happens that you didn't do it and you do it the way that it's expected of you to do so not like technically i did it no fuck you you do it though but can we we can swear right yeah we can swear i yeah, just yeah, want yeah. i just want no, to ask that like in every podcast can you do go, 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 no, no, no. this one has like five followers so it doesn't matter nice <laughs> 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 I would. It would be really sad if this I. This is your if, most watched podcast episode. No, what I mean, like, I would be really sad if I would do a podcast where we can't swear because it's part of What's lexicon of everyday conversation. We can't say fuck like you. You for real? Yeah, that's bullshit. So, okay, so, uh, tell me about this. Thirty uh, years of uh, uh, own. Also, like the other thing, uh, what I wanted to add to it. Um, for some reason, I th I see it is Western culture trait uh, to be just to kind of talk and be part of the conversation. It like that you sound that you matter. Like let's say me and you were talking about opening new business yeah. and someone someone who just kind of steps in and is like, well, yeah, I was thinking about opening business well. Like when these things happen, it's like, why are you telling us? Like, why do <laughs> What did you just add to the conversation? Yeah. Well, I want to get my two cents in too because we live in this fucking everybody gets an eighth place trophy world. Oh my God. Yeah, that's the best one. It's, I don't know how good that is. Yeah, it's, it's fucking. It sucks. It's the greatest. It sucks. It's the greatest. When are we gonna start, uh, like, uh, plucking the fruits of that? I mean, we are already. There's so many people who are just feel entitled and, like, how come I didn't get that intention? Oh, I think that's a whole society. I mean, look what's going on in Canada right now. Look at what's going on, like the pandemic and and what it's created in in like countries like Australia and Canada. But specifically, we could talk about Canada. That is that. Like, that is. Everybody gets a say, mm, and mm, nobody's mm. smarter than anybody else. Mm. And like, it's like society is something that's really important. That like we all are just homogenous, mm. right? And nobody should stand out unless you're oppressed. Then you should stand out. Mm. If you're oppressed, then you should stand out. If you're that's a minority, you should it's incredible. I mean, th this is like we just opened a can of worms. Like, there's so much shit going on. I was today in sauna in uh, in. Uh, Body factory? Uh, no, not in Battery Factory. In the yeah. other one, Nirvana. Uh, Nirvana yeah, uh, I just joined them. I couldn't. I broke. I love that place. Yeah, I, I did jujitsu there. That's the best jujitsu gym in this in the in the world. <laughs> I use. Yeah. I know that you go to that. Bali MMA, yeah, yeah, yeah. I go to Bali MMA. The, the reason why I joined uh, Nirvana, because uh, I want to get into yoga, and that's a lot. And that oh, another thing that we can Anne talk. Anne Marie about. is teaching there. We can talk about this. This morning I went there, and I was the only student. And so for Anne Marie's, class? I don't think it was Anne Marie. Uh, I don't know was who it? was it. It was at seven forty-five, but I was like seven minutes late. And you were the only student. Yeah, and I was the only student, and she already left. But it was fine. I was like, I did some capoeira that, instead. That's <laughs> that's really weird that you would want to get into yoga, but you would go to Nirvana. I mean, there's yoga studios. 
Um, the reason because they have so many other things, and I do still yeah. gymnastics, I do parlor bars, yeah. I do all that kind of thing, and also they have nice sauna, nice cold bath, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of a combination of everything, and it's right next to Bali MMA. Then so this True. today I did my fights, uh, my training, and then I just went straight away to the cold bath and sauna there. Okay. Um, I think this is the first segment, dude. It's like already 30 minutes we've been rambling around. We could ramble hard. We're going to ramble hard. But uh, we're going to ramble more just in a second. Right. <laughs> Check this out. There's music and everything. So you said that you were involved in this uh, landmark thing. Tell, tell us, what is that? It is Keeping people accountable of what they taught. Well, okay, this is how I got into it. I've been in the yoga world for now 20 years, like I said, and the guy who created Lululemon, do you know Lululemon? You I do, heard of it, from yeah, Va- yeah. You're from, you're from Vancouver, you know Lululemon. Yeah. Lululemon is the probably the biggest yoga wear company in the world, and yeah. it was founded in Canada and Vancouver. And what something that they did amazing was they their marketing was right to, like, they knew their market. And they like would be like, what intention are you going to set? Mm, Do something mm. that scares you every day. And they would implement the the owner of of um, Lululemon did Landmark. I think he built Lululemon based on Landmark structure. Yeah. So Landmark was interwoven with the whole Canadian yoga culture because Lululemon was such a big part of it. Now, with that said, because everybody was doing it, I stayed the fuck away from it because I was just like, this is just too creepy and like, why, why would I go there? Then, when I was living in Toronto, after I, I was living in Russia at some point, didn't talk about that at all yet, but I was living in Russia, moved back to Canada for a couple of years, and when I was there, I had a girl call me and be like, you really need to do this seminar. Trust me, it's going to change your life. And I was like, okay, fuck off. And she was like, no, you really need to. And I was like, come on, fuck off. But I, it, it planted a seed in my head, and I ended up doing it. <laughs> and um, Persistence. Yeah. She had one. <laughs> she had persistence. It worked. It worked. Um, but here's the thing about it is when I went into the seminar, I already have such a self-development and spiritual education from all my years of yoga and all my self-help reading and and what have you know all the other stuff that i've done and like my love of tony robbins and stuff like that Mm -mm. um and i went in there and i was like finally i'm hanging out with people who are into personal development that aren't yogis so they were like business leaders they were like entrepreneurs they were people that were just trying to figure out their life and i looked at it i was like oh this is like a spiritual journey for the normal person it's not like you know okay now i'm gonna like go vegetarian and i'm gonna Mm -hmm. like go Mm -hmm. to india and i'm gonna pray to god it was like i want to make the world a better place through action so it really spoke to me so i did the first seminar and they have a process of pretty much taking responsibility for your life and taking responsibility for your life means that everybody you've ever fucking blamed is actually your responsibility. So you go into this process of who do I have what they call a racket against like a story Mm. that like that fucker doesn't give me the opportunity to do what I want to do. That person's a bitch that, and then you find a way to access them and, and apologize to them for creating a story in your head that they were standing between you and whatever it is that was really important for you. And literally, the, some of the language that they use is you create a new possibility for the relationship. And what that does is it releases all kinds of limited belief systems. Yeah, yeah. I totally can agree. This uh, 
I mean, like when I when I was stuck in Canada, not stuck, but when I got there, I, I had this uh, very interesting window of time where I was actually let go for this company, but they were sti- still keep paying me because it was kind of their fault. Basically, they fuck up. And then uh, I was just stuck in a basement and I was reading all these self-development books. And um, a lot of one of the first things was like, yeah, about how we tend to always find and blame someone else, you know, with our issues. Why we don't do this? Oh, because someone else. And that is such a thing, and that is a part of mentality and part of the reason why I kind of ran away from Latvia. Because after two years, uh, you know, also reading all the books and kind of meeting people and going there, and almost all of my friends I would meet, and they're like, oh, I'm unhappy with this. And I was like, why are you unhappy? Oh, well, because of that, that happened, and this happened, and someone else's fault. Why don't you just leave? Why did you just, like, new start a new chapter? I'm perfect example. Yeah, but you're crazy. <laughs> yeah, you lived, you slept on the floor for how long? And you did door-to-door sales. I don't want to do that. But then one one guy told me, like, sometimes a little bit of discomfort can bring you a lot of, you know, amazing experience and, and things what you actually want to do. And people are so afraid of, you know, that stupid expression of getting out of their comfort zone and stuff like But everyone knows that. I mean, we're all afraid of that. Yeah, like of course on some we are. Level, right? I know that. I know that. I've, I know that I've chosen getting out of my comfort zone a lot, and it's um, led to a lot of growth. I also know that choosing it as a normal everyday thing can also just be self abuse. But in terms of like, most people are just comfortable in their coziness. Mm. You know, like I do not want to leave that which is comfortable. And a lot of times that which is comfortable is like my group of friends who are like, I am comfortable in being low vibration, as we would say in Ubud, just like, oh, these people are so negative, but it's my home. This is Mm. my home. I'm, I'm home around those that make me feel like shit. You know why? Because I don't have to make myself feel like shit. Oh, wow. That's something. That is something. Um... (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, well, what do I say? Um, so you went to Russia um, after 23 years living in the UK, uh, in uh, Canada. So t- you were 23 when you moved to Vancouver. How long did you stay in Vancouver? I was in Vancouver till 2007. Then I moved to Hong Kong. Th- then, uh, okay. So I was 23. So I was at four years in Vancouver and then another three f- years in Hong Kong. What happened? Why did you move to Hong Kong for three years? I was So I was acting in Vancouver, schmacting. Um, which, like, I was so shitty and it was getting so little <laughs> success at it that um, I started writing and doing spoken word. Oh, okay. Which uh, really kind of, like, moved me away from acting and, I guess, like, moved me towards directing and writing. But at that time, simultaneously, I was getting yoga opportunities and my yoga crew was just much more inspiring than my mm. acting crew. My acting crew, at the end of acting, would go, like, drinking while my yoga crew would smoke joints and do, like, ayahuasca. And I was like, I want to have those conversations. Yeah, those yeah, are more 100%. interesting to me, right? Also, I w- wanted to add something, too. When you said about, um, like, the self-development and all this kind of concept, I never even thought that yogis, like, p- yoga people would go to that route. Like, I always heard that from the business route. Mm-hmm. So when I went to Canada and I was exposed to door-to-door sales guys, so they would be, every morning they would have these inspiring speeches and, and everyone has to prepare some kind of quotes, writing out them from books where they would be reading about, like, yes, keep yourself uh, accountable, blah, 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 all these kind of things. And then it's funny that you come from totally different roots, so the yogis would talk about that those things. It's uh, it's uh, very interesting for me. 
It's, it's interesting to me because I think I'm only now being drawn towards business as an interest point through the same roots because I'm because I, I step in there so easily mm. because of the yoga stuff. But I, yeah, I never actually understood that from that point of view. And it's cool that you say that. And that's what I got from Landmark. I was like, look at all these people that are looking to grow and to expand. They were just using a little bit more mundane language, not like expand consciousness. They were expanding their possibilities. Mm, but mm, it was mm. really inspiring. And I, I used them both. And I moved to Russia fresh off of doing that programming and I used all of that programming in my yoga teaching. Like I would inspire thousands of Russians being like, what possibility are you going to create for yourself today? What responsibility are you going to take that you've been blaming for other people? Like, mm. they, like, they were like eating it all up because in Russia, they're very yoga traditional. They, right, they, they right. go very much into, like, the Indian stuff. And, like, that's that was never interesting to me. I'm, like, hardly a yogi-yogi. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. And then, um, so your parents, uh, what what did they do? Or do they still do or did? or they? <coughs> My dad, for many years, had a knitting factory. He had this big factory, and he was doing really well in the 80s. And then... There was some recession and it went bankrupt. And that was an interesting t part of my life because I was like 12, 13 years old. And all of a sudden we went from like driving a Mercedes to driving oh my wow. grandfather's like big brown Buick. It was a house repossessed and like identity from being like the rich kid oh to shit. like to like embarrassed like of like my mom's car. Yeah, that I mean, that's a whole that's a whole I thing. had no problem with that because my mom didn't have a car. You see what happens? Yeah, it's I would like be riding in the back of the bicycle. <laughs> I mean, so much easier contrast, <laughs> so much easier. You're not having to deal with that. Yeah. Like when identity is like born with a silver spoon and then all of a sudden it's like mm, taking it all away. Oh, wow. And your mom, what did she do? My mom has been working for a long like a period, like decades for this company called Electrosonic, where she does like different accounting and ordering. So they're like this huge corporation that buys and sells different electric parts, batteries and stuff like that. Oh, okay. So your mom also always worked, so she wouldn't for be like For the most that. part, for yeah. the most part. Three kids, that's quite quite a lot. Yeah, too. the majority of my life she worked, yeah. She oh, still okay. works. She's like on the verge of 65. That's her retirement. She's waiting for that moment. But, wow. I mean, for the last two years, she's been 99.9% .9 of the time working from her kitchen table. Oh, shit. That's pretty cool. Yeah, she's she likes it. She's like yeah. drinking her coffee, eating her like <laughs> nuts, and like feeding my dog. And so like what, what do your parents think about you? Um, what do you do? Oh, I don't know. I mean, like, they've come to terms with it, mm. I think. I think they... My dad the other day was like, Lawrence, <laughs> when are you already going to come home? It's already time, no? And I'm like, Do you speak English with you? He yeah, yeah, yeah. He really? speaks English. They're, well, they're just more used to... I only started speaking Russian with them after my Russian experience. Oh, right. Because be, nobody knew that me, my brother, and my sister were Russian until they came home to our family, like, into our, our house, our home. And they would see our parents and then be like, hello, Lawrence. As a child, my parents would speak to us for sure in Russian. It would be, right. like, it'd be like, mom, we're just going to baseball. And I was like, mom, can you please? St like, I was so embarrassed about the Russian <laughs> roots. I just wanted to be like everybody else, eat pizza and hot yeah, dogs Yeah, Lawrence just said that, uh, yeah, you have to come home and eat um, whatever. Like breakfast or breakfast, something. Breakfast, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, wow, that's interesting. It is interesting to see that, that uh, how, you know, some, some of these families immigrate uh, to emigrate to different countries and they keep their, f their, their roots and their traditions and their languages and stuff. Dude. I never I really experienced that as a kid. Dude, we not only like that, listen to this. So I grew up in a Russian house, but everything outside of my Russian house 
was Canada. Yeah. Like, all my, I didn't have, I barely had Russian-speaking mm. friends, like, very few. My, the Russian community was my, my parents, my extended family, like, grandmother, grandfather, cousins, and maybe my, my parents' friends. But and maybe the the kids of their friends, but like I didn't spend a lot of time in that world. I was more at school and like mm. hanging out with my friends. When I when I'm what how old was I when I went to Russia for the first time? Like thirty two or something like that. Two thousand eleven, I went to Russia for the first time. I go into a cafe, and the woman goes to me. Lar, um, she, she goes to me. Kukulka, što te hoćiš kušat? Which isn't it like if I translated, hey doll, what do you want to eat? Yeah. But there's something in Russian called umenšenje laskatina. Umenšenje yeah. means shortening and laskatina means like gentle. And like they they do that with names and they like they, they make these cutesy variations. Yeah. I had only experienced my grandmother and my mom talk to me like that before. Yeah. And all of a sudden it was just this like flash from my eyes. It's a whole fucking nation. So the dysfunctional that grew up, that was in my household growing up, was the whole, it's the whole country of Russia, yeah. or even they extended like beyond just Russia, like the former Soviet Union. Yeah, it's incredible. Like yeah. I totally can uh, uh, relate to that. I think it, in English it's called di- diminutive, diminutive. Yeah, th- when they uh, say use those like soft uh, s- spoken, or when they change your word. Uh, in Latvians have the same thing, mm-hmm. like Lat- Latvian and Russian. Um, but but that realization, that realization, that like that like thing that was like an inside joke, so to speak, mm. at home, it's was a, real a thing. whole nation. <laughs> it, it's crazy, and that's what I love about Russia is like it's dysfunctional. I don't know a country that's more dysfunctional, and it, they accepted me because I grew up in a Russian household. I'm dysfunctional, <laughs> and all what of a sudden, what you mean uh, dysfunctional? Well, like in Canada, you have to be appropriate. Like you can't say the wrong thing, or you're going to be canceled for it, so to speak. In like yeah. in like modern language, like you have to like don't raise your voice and don't no anger and no aggression. Like that's unsafe. That's unsafe. Like as a kid in Russia in Canada, I would put my hand around a girl like on the like walking home from school and be like, "Hey, baby," like just trying to be funny and like see if I can like. Oh. And, and it, that, that was like rape. That's so it's like the boundaries, like you have to yes. know strong yeah. boundaries in Canada. In Russia, I could freak out. Like I could have a temper tantrum in public. No one would give a fuck. People just n- accept you for the you, who you are. Yeah, it's really cool. That is cool. <laughs> it's that cool. Is cool. And it, and and from a personal development point of view, you get a chance to get it out. So you get a chance to like integrate that. Like it's our anger and our aggression and our violence. It, they they need a place to integrate. They need a place to get out of our system. Like you get it. I got it in jujitsu. You're you know like or in other places. Like a lot of the majority of the population don't get it out. So what happens is everybody's appropriate in the West, and mm. then they end up like doing some fucking crazy shit in the background. Well, I think like in Eastern European countries, the sports is the biggest one. Like and that's why all the kids, and that's why you see also more healthier kids back home. Like back in you know all these countries. Because then as soon as you have some kind of issue, whatever, you just go do sports. Mm. Like my dad was an alcoholic. Like at home would be always fights and shit. So I would be uh, staying at, ho- at school as long as I could to do all these sports so I don't have to deal with this crap. <laughs> so, yeah, the physical physical kind of stuff. And, and, and to this day, I think it's the best thing ever to go and uh, do a workout. And, uh, it's, you know, it's not only men- physical but mental as well. Huge. Yeah. Agree with you. Agree yeah. with you. Huge stuff. Um, okay, let's get to some business. Tell us about what do you do now? 
What is that? What do you do now? So you started with yogis and then you got kind of in a cell development. Sorry. So you went to, what was the reason you went to Hong Kong? I went to Hong Kong to teach yoga. I got okay. a, I got a job working for the biggest yoga studio in the world called Pure Yoga. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that was a trip. I just wanted to go to Hong Kong. Um, I had a friend that was a director of that program. I did my first teacher training there. And um, the city was just like, whoa, this city is so cool. Because it's like super modern. And at the same time, it's like historic, mm. you know, and it doesn't it doesn't it's not China. I don't know if you've been to, been to Hong Kong, but Hong yeah, Kong is in China. It's it's a Western city. I mean, now things are changing, but it felt very modern. There's so much money running through that city. It's amazing. It's the most efficient city in the world. Um, it was really, really cool. It was a really cool experience. So that's why I went there. I worked for the for the yoga studio. Um, which is a huge, I mean, at the end of the day, it was a huge corporation that I worked for. And mm. I was like, with, as they were building their brand before they had trained local teachers, they were bringing in foreign teachers to like get their quality of what they were doing to be higher. I was one of those teachers. But and that opened up a world of networking. And three years, uh, why three years? Why didn't you stay longer? Or um, Well, I left the big company and I started working on my own. Mm-hmm. And... I just think that, like, for a personality like myself to be in a structure like that is really challenging because I have all these creative ideas, and I'm, like, working all the time. They had us working, like, 16 to 20 classes a week. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot of yoga that's, that's classes. That's a lot of, lo- yeah. It's a y- lot of yoga classes. So they had us teaching, which is why I became really good at it, because mm. I had nonstop practice. It's like... If I if I partied all night long, I would teach at 7 a.m., you know? Like, if I was sick, I would teach. So you just get good at that stuff. This is before the COVID area where if you have the sniffles, you don't go to work, you know? So, mm. um, and I left. I left because <laughs> I, my contract wasn't extended after three years. My contract wasn't extended, I think, because... Um, Too much partying. No. <laughs> I was dating this hot... woman named raven that was like um she's half asian half english and her ex-husband was like somebody that was like prominent in the the community and the owner of the yoga studio was friends with him Uh and he saw me and her together one time and like within days i hear yes we're not gonna we're not going to renew wow. your contract, which was still a cool opportunity because I still had six months left in my contract. And knowing that there was an end, I really got to push some boundaries because I was like, I'm getting fired anyways. Like mm. there's nothing. So it really took my teaching to another level. With that said, I stayed in Hong Kong for a little bit. And um, when I stayed in Hong Kong, I started doing my own stuff. I was making more money really fast, teaching privates and doing my own programming. Um, and then I moved to Bali. Straight away from Hong Kong. I got an opportunity to go to Bali and w- live here in Changu and work at a place called Desaseni, which was like the only yoga studio in 2011 here. Mm-hmm. And it was a really awesome opportunity. And I liked the idea. And it was probably financially a shitty idea because in Hong Kong, like I was in a major city where people had more money than they knew what to do with. And I came into a tourist town that was still growing. And and I didn't have the foresight. If I stayed in Bali, everything would have been great. But like I didn't have the foresight to be like, this place is growing. I just yeah. saw it as a place where like there was no system. I didn't know how I was going to grow. And I really wanted to grow. Mm. So I ended up moving from there back to Canada. And that's when I told you the story about like I couldn't stay in Vancouver. And I ended up moving from there to Sydney and then Russia. 
Mm. So I had a couple of like stops on the way. But that's awesome. How long did you stay in Sydney? I was there for about a year. What a year. I loved Sydney. Sydney is beautiful. I loved. I haven't Sydney. been there. But I loved Sydney. I loved Sydney. It's a very pompous town for the most part. Like it's very pretentious. Um, the, the 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 locals tend to have like really deep connections with themselves, mm. right? Um, so all of my friends were basically foreigners, you know, like people like us, like mm. expats, uh, which was beautiful too. Um, and Sydney's a really chill place, like energetically, like everybody's just casual. So I was like dating a lot of girls at the same time, like really getting this opportunity to like sow my wild oats and like whatever the fuck. I never said that term before. So <laughs> What was that? So my what? Well, just like I, w- I got the opportunity. Can we erase that? That's embarrassing. No, no, okay. That's fuck. all it stays it's, in. Um, I got like I would, I was dating three girls at the same time, <laughs> like that kind of stuff, and th- and and honest with them about it, like you know. Yeah, yeah. So and they were cool with it. I don't know if they were all cool with it, <laughs> but <laughs> never waited till they. But answered. I was, <laughs> <laughs> I was gone by the time they said no. <laughs> no, I don't know if they were cool with it, but like they accepted it for what it was. Um, and then I, with that same mentality, I moved to St. Petersburg, Russia to open a hot yoga studio. I was, that didn't, that dating multiple girls in Russia doesn't work. Oh, really? Yeah. There's a lot more like ownership. Did some, did some of them try to kill you (laughs) when you said like, I'm dating three other girls at the same time. Yeah, it it didn't work. (laughs) I thought that like, I was like, oh, polygamy, that's my thing. Yeah. So you moved to St. Petersburg. Yeah. Okay. In three years. How long did you stay there? I was there for about three years, yeah. As well. Nice. Three, three. Have you been to St. Three, Petersburg? one, three. I grew up about 80 kilometers away from the Russian border. No one been in Russia in my life. Oh, It's dude. insane. But I also like because, uh, well, first of all, I've never been attracted to go to Russia. I'm I like, can I, li- that. I live with those fucks here. Like, I have yeah. Russians everywhere. It's not like that, though. It's not like no, that. No, no, that's the thing. I, I actually found, you know, because my sister, she went to do, um, in Latvia, it's a huge to do the folk dancing, like traditional dancing. So um, I did like three, uh, in, uh, like the national festivals and, and my sister, she did. And then they had some offer. There was a kind of exchange or like a friendly program in, in with Russians so that they would, uh, these people from different countries would do their um, traditional dancing. And then my sister, she got back. She said, like, I met some Russians. I would never think of how cool they were, how nice they were. And like, it's just totally different story. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah, it's because... Yeah, the, the ones who we got here in Latvia, they're just special. <laughs> well, I think the ones that we have in Bali are special too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that once you leave Russia, you get hit with this huge hit of ego. I don't know. We were talking about this. Actually, Pavel, who does stand-up yeah. as well, he was one of our guests. Uh, was like uh, episode five. We were actually just, literally, me and Chris were asking, what do you think, why do you think Russians have this kind of, you know, rap, this kind of, uh, uh, you know, um, stereotype going on around here uh, in Bali? And two things... One thing what I thought was that very often their English is not very good, so they're quite shy and they kind of get closed and they get kind of self-conscious um, about it. I think and, that's very and true. And then they throw this kind of like, oh, how dare you talk to me, like, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but the other, th- <laughs> other thing what... Other thing what <laughs> so true. <laughs> it is true, right? And I, I, There's I, a defensiveness I, that comes because they're super sensitive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Defense mechanism straight away is on. Like, they're all, like, kind of guard is up and, yeah. like, what, what is going on? That's one thing. Another thing, which is also related with the same thing, is that uh, also what Pavel said, 
Russians in general, especially the ones we have here, majority. Obviously, there's some amazing Russians, like, you know. But yeah, but they don't hang out with Russians. The amazing Russians don't hang yeah, out yeah, with yeah. Russians. So, going back to the idea. So, what he said, basically, uh, most of them have no experience of traveling. Most of them never really lived anywhere abroad. So, they right. don't really have that understanding how other cultures work. And then, uh, with their understanding in Russia, everything it's quite tough it's kind of a jungle the strongest survives the biggest asshole survives how to get a you know the the, the nicest car be a dick kind of thing and then that's that's what they bring with them and because also like if you think about it you know historically like when 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 russians start traveling when was it like okay to go abroad and to do stuff and even to nowadays like in uk U europe for russia it's very difficult to get there because of the uh, visa restrictions for some Russians, yeah so some russians seem, uh, russia seems to be the freest world the freest northern hemisphere country in the world right now but that's a different conversation, but I do agree with you that it's not that it's hard for them to get a visa. It's it difficult, but because like if you're part of EU for Latvian, Lithuanian, Estonian, not anymore, it was so easy to go to UK where you're going to be exposed to all, all these other cultures. Yeah, but who but cares about UK, Italy, France? Like you can still do that. Like that hasn't changed. It's just that's true, but down. like especially if we're talking about the Western culture about right. English language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for Russians, it's very very difficult to get there. So and like when I. Um, as a stuntman, I'm the one of the four only stunt performers on a British stunt, re stunt register, which is about 400 people who speaks Russian. So oh, we, really? I ha it's me, two Lithuanian guys, actually three Lithuanian guys, and one Russian guy who actually from from Russia, but he is there because of his family moved and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So they were like coaching gymnastics. And so whenever time, like even now, actually today I need to do um, a self tape uh, for one uh, production where they wanted me to speak English with the Russian accent, but also just Russian. And they, re it's like my agent just called, messaged me, is like, most likely you're going to get the job because there's not a lot of people, especially in UK, who speak Russian. So I should go and be a stuntman in the UK. Yeah, you should. For the Russian jobs. Exactly. Easy. Yeah. That, that could be, like, most, mo one of my first jobs was I was working with Samuel e. Jackson, Ryan Reynolds on the Hitman's Bodyguard. Uh, and they hired me as a stuntman who can speak Russian. I end up just acting, just doing my Russian bit. And from there, I got like three or four more jobs, like Vikings. On Vikings, I've done speaking parts. Um, some uh, on Mission no All mission. on Russian. Sorry? All on Russian. So, no, on Vikings was funny. They hired me as a Russian speaker, but then uh, on the day, they were like, no, just speak English with Russian accent. Okay. Why would he assume straight away that someone who can speak Russian can do actually a Russian accent in English? You we, can, though. Well, the thing is, like, they, as most of them assume because most of the Russian speakers, their English is not very good, and yeah. they sound like they have an accent. And then I open my mouth, like, the way I speak, yeah. and they're like... <laughs> and then I was like, okay, sorry, sorry, I will go back to the Russian Hello, accent. Hello, how are you? Yeah, it's so good to be here on set. Where's my rider? Yes, but it's very, like, uh, over the top, you know? It's You know what? I, <laughs> I talk like this very much, and... I, I think it's over the top, but everybody who listens think it's the real deal. You're doing this like little thing with your... <laughs> it's like, no, Russians should be open. I'm a Jewish Russian. <laughs> That's why. You know, I'm Ukrainian. But yeah, hello. It's like the video I made, you blah. Oh. <laughs> I need to turn down with your mic. <laughs> it's going to blow up. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, it's hilarious to say to watch sometimes the uh, American films or just Hollywood films. It's horrible. The big like, productions where they have. There's not on those films usually. Yeah, you it's, can just tell. It's, it's like, crazy. Yeah. But the thing is like how many people are going to be like, oh my God, how dare you? Only the Russians. Yeah. Which is a growing market. Hello. Yeah, it's a big market. Actually, Vikings is huge now in Russia. There's this big, uh, actually, Russian actor who was part of Vikings as well. Oh, yeah. 
pretty pretty interesting guy. But then uh, then yeah, he actually wasn't actually a very nice guy. Yeah, fuck him. He's Russian. <laughs> yeah, he was probably like in the beginning. He's like, oh nice, you speak Russian, good for you. Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> That you know how stuff. many times my heart's been broken? Like, I'm just like, because I'm so open-hearted. It's the same feeling. If you live in Russia, you leave Russia. The best, I, this is what I used to say. I used to say, the best part of living in Russia is leaving Russia. Truth. Truth. Because, mm. like, Russia is, like, rusty. It's dirty. It's just dark. And then you leave, and you're like, oh, Amsterdam. Best city in the world. Oh, P- London. Oh, my God. It's so bright and clean, and everybody's so polite. Then you come back to Russia, and, like, you're like, oh, did Italy dumb. It's so good to be back. It's with you. Cock dealer. And they're like, fuck off. And they're just fucking, like, yeah, they fuck off. They're, like, so unimpressed with you. And that's that is... That hurts my heart. Yeah, like but also the other thing is like there's envy, there's a there's a jealousy going on there as well. Like, oh, you who the fuck you think you are to be you, happy? Yeah, How you, dare you? Yeah, exactly. Be happy. And also like when I get, went back to Latvia after those two years, and now even now when I got back, I just get that sense all the time. So if I hang out with my friends who I haven't seen in a while, it's cool. But then they will be like some of their friends like who I never met, and they're like, oh, oh, you live in England? Yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. It's like whatever, fuck off, kind of thing. Well, go back I, to your England. They just feel. Shit about themselves yeah so fuck them but that's that's you don't want to hang out with those people anyways oh exactly good filter it's a good filter 100 percent. but like what what i do as a personality type i usually adjust to the situation yes so i kind of go uh, along with their thing fuck that not anymore you did that i don't know i know exactly exactly i mean there's definitely places where that works where you have to do it but like that kind of behavior i'm good at it too like that chameleon like that also gets you into a lot of situations where you end up taking on so much stress and pressure of things that you don't need to do in life. Like, you don't need to hang out with those fucking assholes when they're showing you that they are not going to be open to your fucking genius. Mm, mm, of course. That's how I usually think about my genius. <laughs> 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 but no, I'm, it's, I'm in a very great place in my life where I know... It's like when someone says, like, do you know who you want around you? I know who I don't want around me. It's very simple. As soon as I feel that someone is wasting my time, I'm not growing with those people. I'm not um, developing in some certain way. There's just, there's no point. That's it. And now it becomes organically. Back in the days, I would say like, I would still kind of hang out with them and whatever, like, you know, but then I was just like, no, see ya. Have you ever dated a Russian woman? No. Good for you. I actually never dated a Russian girl. Um, Some friends, I had Russian girls, whatever, but... Uh, last year when I came to Bali, I went to couple, on a couple of dates here in, in Bali. Jesus Christ. Like, some of them were kind of even, like, a little bit nice and whatever, but that whole thing about, you know, not paying for yourself and that the guy has to look after you, it's just like... It's this so in your face. It's so right, like, right off the bat. I mean, you have to respect them. They, they're straightforward with that, you know? Mm, what do you mean straightforward with that? That well, like the guy should be taking care of you? Yeah, like, they don't wait very long for that to become an obvious thing. Like, if you're not ready to deal with that, then, like, you're yeah. going to have... The, the relationship's going to have trouble from the get-go. Yeah, but I think it's quite sad just to have that thinking, that that type of thinking that if you take me out, you pay for my shit. And then, so what do you give me in return? I allow you. And, you know, that's where you're like... I allow you? Yeah, I allow you. I allow you to take me out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they'll also say... You know how expensive it is to be this beautiful? The nails, the hair, the, the, the dress. They'll say things like that. I think... <laughs> I've never heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But I would go straight away like, do you know how expensive is this? 
Yeah. Do you have any idea how many hours of gym I'm spending and stuff? I just broke up with a girl that <laughs> I just. I'm gonna put that as an excerpt. I just broke up with a girl. <laughs> I just ended it with a girl who I met. I go to this. I go to ecstatic dance in in Ubud. I fucking love that. I shit, have a man. I have a stand up comedy bit about ecstatic dancing. I fucking love that shit. He's the best. That is my favorite. He's the greatest. Place. That is my fucking church. Man. So you hook up with all the weirdos there. I fucking do contact improv dance, man. I dance, and sometimes it's sexy, and sometimes it's rough, and whatever, <laughs> you know. I ask for consent, and it all works. And I met this girl, and we danced like real nice. And we danced a couple of times, and she's a vegan chef, and I like I did not see that as a red flag, and <laughs> and we and she's Russian, and like I was like you know like I'm 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 willing to get to know you, let's get to know you, but like it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, where's the story? It didn't work. <laughs> I don't know. I like uh, Russian girls have the best resting bitch face I ever seen. Yeah, but that's not what you date. You it's don't date somebody based on their resting bitch. It's face. always. I fucking hate resting bitch. I face. can see them by mile. Like when someone says like like, like oh, Russian. What nationality do you think that girl is? Duh, Russian. Dude, you're not alone in being able to see them from a it's mile just, away. Like, it's crazy, and it's and maybe it's like one out of thousand would, would like to change my mind, but that's mo- most of the cases. You know, like I go, I go do dan- actual actual dancing in a just dance studio here in Bali. The hip hop, you know, cool. contemporary. Love there's that. a there's a concept of that dancing. You know, yeah. Just comparing with ecstatic dancing. Yeah, <laughs> I love ecstatic dance though because it, that's more of an emoting process. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like, is that too loud? Sorry about that. <laughs> but that's what it is. That's more of an emoting process. Like when you're learning hip hop, you're learning like one, two, three, and four. Like you're at, you're learning a craft. Ecstatic dance is more of like. But you can go wow with the sense of rhythm. Once you get it, you can't do it from the beginning. You have to like, you have to one, two, three, and four, and five, six. Once you're at 16 counts and you've done it repetitive then times, you then you can go why, and then it's fucking beautiful, <laughs> and that's what everybody loves to watch on TV. Don't get me wrong. But like, or in or the Korean. Just be honest. Thing. Ecstatic dancing is just for people who don't know how to fucking dance, and they have no sense of rhythm. I think I have fucking know how to dance. <laughs> is that just like you just thought that you're a good actor. I am a good actor. It just <laughs> took me practice. It took me practice. Today, I'm a great actor. It takes time, right, to be able to embody things. I, yeah. think, I think, I don't know. Look, ecstatic dance is also for people who can't dance. <laughs> <laughs> At least we got to some kind of conclusion. <laughs> now, I, I don't want to shit on ecstatic dancers. Um, like, I, actually, I went to a couple of them. And uh, some Dude, of them, you can see that someone can actually dance. Come this weekend. No doubt. But there are some, some people just, and then it's, I don't want to shit on them as well because they just have a good time. Who, who's the to best. say, how do I have a good time? It's the best yeah, in Ubud. Cool. You can't do it in at like in Chengdu. You got to go in Ubud. It's like world-class ecstatic dance. It's just like tribal vibe and the girls show up with their with their feathers in there, you know, and everybody's like getting hot and naked and sweaty. And if you don't, if you're, you know, like careful, you might be able to like slip some psilocybin and go to the next level. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it's not like going to like a bass show or like one of those <laughs> techno shows because yeah you'll get that <laughs> but you also get this like quiet soft spiritual thing at the end yeah. you know and everybody's just, just got wet a little bit <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just feel like god's way on me. that note we're gonna finish this segment <laughs> <laughs> okay Loren- uh, lawrence lawrence lorenzo how, how does your parents call you 
Lawrence. 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 Sometimes they would call me Lorenci. Do you mind just turning your uh, chair a little bit so you can be like more facing that camera as well? I was and then you can come with me as well. There you go. That's the one. Not too much. You can just go go a little bit back. There you go. A little da- that's called ecstatic dancing here in uh, Renard's Villa. <laughs> Um, so yeah, your parents would call. How do they call you? Larenchik. Larenchik. That's like umenchenia. Umenchenia. Diminutive. 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 Yeah. So uh, how do would they say if they're angry at you? Lawrence. <laughs> do you live with fucking hulks? Dude, <laughs> Jewish right? hulks in the Jewish house. Jewish hulks. <laughs> <laughs> oh my this god. Oh god. <laughs> Um, so what do you do right now at the moment in Bali? How, you've been here now, you said, uh, 20, how many months? Over 21 months, almost 22, almost, Tw- almost two years. 20, oh, almost two years. So, and as I understand you doing coaching, what kind I'm of coaching I'm coaching, do do? I'm doing online coaching. So I work with Russians. Um, I started off doing group coaching programs for English. Mm-hmm. So acquiring English. So Russians come to me and I put them through a self-development program, self-expression program to get them to acquire English the way that kids acquire language. So it's not happening through like studying and hard work, but it's happening through passion, purpose, through like through goals and action mm-hmm. so that's one thing and then just by being in the coaching space i started working with uh women on intimacy issues and relationship stuff so that just happened naturally because a lot of the women that would come with me to me initially for english would be like what what's the thing that you want more than anything english for and they wanted to meet a foreign man so they can get out of that um like that structure and that pattern of like yeah, dating the yeah, same kind yeah. of man they, they they saw more for themselves so that's one thing and then i also work with men and when i work with men i work specifically on their coaching so men who are becoming coaches i work with them specifically on how to start and build a coaching career hmm. how to market it organically um how to create the habits so it happens and also how to take your own personal genius like the thing that you do because we're all experts in something in comparison to somebody else and take that package it and go with that and if we are not experts then there's certain ways to figure out what could you be in an expert and just to find and find that again to maintain that consistency and that you would going to be doing that because at the end of the day like honestly, like even a couple of days ago, we were talking about how some people who are not very talented in certain things actually can be amazing just with a sheer hard work. But mm-hmm. then he was like, "Well, what? What is what is talent? Is talent just commitment and saying that this is what I want to do? Or because I've seen a lot of guys who have amazing nat- natural talent and then they just throw it away." Well, I think that you said it when you at the beginning when you were like, "There's a system to everything, and mm. if you just keep going at it one bit at a time." So the people with natural talent aren't necessarily the best coaches. They mm. don't have the time, the space, or the patience for it. But here you are as a good example of like I want, like I hear your story, and I'm like, I want to hang out with Renars because I know that if I get into something with you, you're going to stay consistent with it because you have a history of staying consistent. So what is that? That's habits. That's a yeah. habit of like I start something and I just I like I start to go at it every day. So One of my favorite words in English is credibility yeah when we build credibility and it's um you know like it comes originally from news and from journalism so then how can you trust that um source uh whether it's credible or it's not but humans we're exactly the same 
like how often you meet someone who like you're not credible where does this come from like i don't trust you you yeah. know like you feel a lack of authenticity and depth and grounded in what they actually do experience ultimately. exactly let's talk about more about what you do so um when you said about acquired english that is amazing like i would love to have that in school when i was when i was a kid because obviously we were going by the book and stuff like that one of the more like acquired english uh, things what we did was every every day if you if you're late for the class and i was always late for the class so i would be i am sorry i am late may i take my place <laughs> <laughs> but it was like we're like i am sorry i am late may i take my place yeah but look and you're probably the best english speaking person <laughs> in that whole program because you were mostly late and that lady she was like she's a proper russian and she would teach us like the kid the tree the apple Renar, so what is this? <laughs> I know. That's the that thing that really fucks with me all the time because all these Russian-speaking English teachers. Oh, shit. And I'm like, what? Oh, but, shit. But when Russians come to me, they're like, I want English-speaking person. And I'm like, I'm like, look, I'm an English-speaking person, but I'm not going to be your English teacher. I'm not sitting with you and like having any conversations about like anything to do with grammar. Exactly. How do, you, how do you start teaching them expressions and like... Because... Because one one thing they have to understand, like I don't, I would like to learn English, but I want to learn it with the accent, like with the American accent or British accent, whichever is the choice. In your case, it's Canadian accent, which is very similar to American yes. accent. So then you'll be like, I would like to learn that kind of English. So because I started learning first time ever learned uh, with American accent, it was when I met these two Mormons in in freaking Riga. I was just down, walking down the street, and uh, one of them approached me. Oh, can you tell us where this bus, whatever? And then we just start talking. Then they're like, Oh, would you like to come and uh, learn about Jesus Savior and stuff? I was like, No, 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 guys, I'm cool. Um, but that would have been a great way to learn yeah, english yeah but how about we do this we and that's how they were getting the kids in they were like oh we're going to teach you english but then you're going to stay and learn about jesus savior and i said i'm shitty catholic and that's where we're going to stay but instead huh. we're going to do exchange i will teach you russian and latvian you guys teach me english and they they looked at each other they're like okay sounds good and then for the next like whatever month we were just hanging out and one hour would speak russian latvian and one hour would speak english and it worked yeah and it worked perfectly because then i was like so how do you how do you guys say this how do you say this oh well that's how we pronounce it and this, things like that yeah i think i mean one of like that video that we have up that i showed you like yep. it's just me this is an interesting conversation for us to have outside of this but i'll lead there too it's um so I write poetry. I did a little stand-up co comedy too. And one of the things that has always in my acting like been detrimental, my Achilles heel, is the memorization of text. Right. It's something that's always been challenging. I think I also have that dyslexia in terms of like how do yeah. I make things up and how do I not how do I make things stick is what I wanted mm, to say. Mm, mm. And what I've realized in this new process of like I've been writing a lot and now I'm looking to put it on stage and perform it not like from reading but from just being in my body because it's a whole other life that is added to it is that I need to put pictures to it. I need to like put feelings to it. I need to add narrative. Mm, mm, like there has mm, to be mm. story to it. That makes total sense, and I can totally relate to that because I really struggled to learn texts uh, as a kid. I would need to learn for like poetry, whatever, and I could read. This is the thing you can read a million times. doesn't stick. How do we do that? And my, my mom, from a very early age, you need to create associative memory. Mm -hmm. And that's how I learned English as well. That's what I'm doing right now. Yeah, and like yeah. associated memory, like how does it sound like? How does it, oh, this, 
and and then it just start making perfect sense. Like right now in stand up as well, because I'm writing some some of my material, it just goes like two A four pages. You're not gonna memorize it word by word, but then you kind of read it, read it. But then you take certain words out, making smaller, smaller. Now I usually have two copies. One is the, with the full thing, and the other one I leave only the main important words. And then as I go through, I just build stuff around. Most of the time I improvise, but then when I get better at it, so I realize I actually learn the whole thing and I actually go word by word. Which is insane. How, How long does it do? take you usually to go from like new material to comfortable? It's difficult to say that because some new material is uh, certain things and stories which sticks in my head so so much easier. Also, it's a language where you hear certain things like I would write and the language is quite difficult. Um, you know, uh, then it just varies. But but I have a certain system the way I do. And the best way for me to do, sometimes I just know the themes, what I'm talking about. I just, I go up here, take my hair comb and just pretend that I'm ready in front of people. And then I would go, uh, yeah, so this, 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 like this theme uh, about cats, like cats and dogs, blah, 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 blah. And like, oh, did I forget? Oh, okay, need to look it up. Okay, that's what it does. And then I go back to it. So that's what works for me the best. Do you look in the mirror when you do that? No. No, no. you just, you just, pi- yeah, okay, got just it. picturing people, faces or whatever. So that is the same process that I think is important for acquiring a language. That's how kids learn a new language. They mm. just see and they hear their parents speak it and they mimic it. Mm. And through that mimicking, you start to get it. So what I do is I work with my clients and I figure out what they want in life that's important, whether it be a date, whether it be start a business, whether it be like get their Instagram going, what have you. Like just what is Mm, important to you? mm. And then I start putting them into situations that are stressful. Not like overly stressful, but enough stressful that they're like, I don't want to fucking do this. Mm -hmm. And then support them into going there, making videos online in English, um, my one of my favorite clients is she's an artist from latvia oh no 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 from lithuania sorry mm. sorry sorry from lithuania this beautiful woman and what's she's, her name her name is sandra sandra okay what's her instagram it's like sandra I sandra from lithuania yeah she's a she's a really cool woman and she came to me because she wanted to speak english because she was getting like her artwork is amazing she's a painter and she wanted to go and be interviewed Mm. And she always said no to interviews. Oh, wow. So, like, she wasn't getting the exposure for her artwork. Anyhow, I worked with her. We spoke. I got her to do all these different, like, things on her Instagram, posting in English, speaking about the things that were important to her. And the last assignment in the coaching that I gave her, I was like, now it's time for you to start your own English-speaking podcast. Oh, wow. I was telling you a little bit about it earlier. And <laughs> about the... F- anyhow... Doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> yeah, but now, now she doesn't need me. Like now, like she, like I taught her how to fish on her own. Now yeah, she yeah, goes yeah. and she literally, on a weekly basis, seeks out English conversations with people that fascinate her. So if we're in a moment that is, yesterday I got in a fight with a guy or like a a yelling match with a guy in Russian and the women that were watching were like, wow, your Russian's amazing. I'm like, yeah, especially when I'm emotional because you get out of your head, you're Mm. in your body, you know, the adrenaline's flowing and I'm like, you know, and I'm speaking and we have to get into that situation. The same thing with um, performing. Right. Like if you do enough work, that's what I love about performing is if you do enough work to take the information and do that associated memory. Mm. There's also those moments that you forget. But because you have associated memory, there's that kinesthetic remembrance. You're literally remembering 
in real time yeah, what yeah, you have yeah. to say. And for the audience, they see real life happening as opposed to somebody who's just like brilliantly like good and memorizing but right, has right. no life in it. It's like that moment of, aha, uh-huh, I remembered it. Like there's this little... Well, no, that's, that's huge. I mean, like I haven't done much of acting training, but I've done some. And some of that stuff, like one example is it was incredible. So I would learn this uh, monologue from uh, History X, American History X, which is like one of the craziest films out there. And the, the monologue goes when this kid just just got shot and he's like kind of thinking in his head how he would be talking about. And it, it starts with, what is hate? Hate is a baggage or something like that. And then uh, I would go to, and I had this uh, really amazing uh, American coach. Uh, he was old school new, new, from New York and like he, his methods is just nuts. So I would do my monologue and he's like, Renard, that was pretty good, but let's try something. So we changed the rooms. We went to this room where it's like no furniture, just one chair. He sits me in a chair and he says, put, put your hands behind uh, your, your, the chair, uh, get them close in. And uh, now close your eyes. Imagine that this that you're gonna be um, killed in like next ten minutes. So it's uh, it's like uh, in prison when they execute. You're gonna be executed basically. Yeah, and this is this monologue is the last thing you're ever gonna say. And then in that moment, just thinking about that, my monologue was I was crying. The snot was coming out from everywhere and everything. And like he and then then he got up and he was applauding me. And it's like, now we, now this is what I'm talking about. And I was like, and I couldn't believe that I can get that. Because what happens, you take the feeling of that, you know, like also he would always say, like, think about your family, how that makes you feel, or thinking about people you love, how that makes you feel, and now say that, and now say the same se- sentence. Huge, huge difference. But, uh, yeah. But, um, so that's acquired English. That is uh, really cool stuff. And then two more things. Uh, and it started with acquired English. And then you got to further helping your men and f- helping uh, uh, female. Yeah. So um, I'm working with women on basically like how to love themselves, especially Russian women, because like what's happening is there's so much identity that has to do with like, oh, if I don't have a partner, I'm not myself. Right, you know? right, right. So I think that every woman deserves to first of all, love herself, understand what she is capable of in this world and not have to associate that specifically with I am worth worthy mm. of being a good person based on, like, I got a good partner. Like, there's a lot of that kind of stuff. So the processes are similar because it's all about, like, finding self-confidence. It's like, okay, who are you? What are you? And then, like, digging deep and being able to ask yourself the the questions that are important to yourself what do you want to do with your life what's the most important thing for you why like how do you see yourself uh what like so much of of our culture is all about like running after the money tree Mm. what would happen if you had all the money in the world how would you spend your days like knowing you it would probably be similar to what you do already right right so like i still have to check myself on that i still find myself like oh man i really need to get shit going i'm like wait a second do i Maybe not. Like, maybe what I'm doing is good. And maybe part of that is also, like, living in the spiritual community of Ubud of, like, wait a second. Like, when I'm in my parasympathetic, when I'm in my spiritual, when I'm in my relaxed state, I'm more effective than when I'm, like, pressuring myself into, like... And that's a lot of the work that I do with them. There is a lot of layers to it. There's something called emoting. There's something called, uh, like, I want them to write. I want them to explore themselves. I want them to reflect on what's going on. And... 
I want them to also discover their own personality because a lot of like not even about women it's like relationships in general we meet somebody we're like attracted to them we're like mm, you know like i yeah, want some of that, that. Tingle. and we start to behave like we think they want us to behave so slow the fuck down mm. learn how to fall in love so you're not getting hooked in to like we're, we're all getting we all get addicted to like that adrenaline and that like in endorphins of sex and the serotonin of sex and then when we get past the sex we start realizing oh this is who this person is at the end of the day and then what happens i mean it depends like i'm you know talking to a guy you know that like renardis who just wants to go bang sometimes hey but no it's i don't all know about making friends first that's this thing what i can add straight away from my perspective like i've been through the phase of getting let's let's get laid and stuff like that but then for now uh, like more and more i understand it's all about it sounds very like lovey-dovey, but if I don't like that person as a as a friend, I don't even go any any further. Well, and like and and having that uh, experience of just having one night stands, like even with like the hottest girl ever, whatever, it usually ninety five percent it's unfulfilling and it doesn't feel good afterwards. Exactly, and the and the thing that comes up a lot when I speak to my clients, I'm like listening to their behaviors, and I'm like, okay, interesting. And then I asked them this question. Are you looking for a long-term relationship? Mm. And they're like, yes. And as soon as we start to think about the fact that we're looking for a long-term relationship, the way we behave changes right away. The goal isn't to just hook somebody in and get codependent on them so that we don't lose them tomorrow. Mm. But that's how we behave a lot of times. It's like, oh my God, I found somebody who's attractive and somebody that's so cool. How do I hold on to them? Like that is, wow. right? Yeah. So it's like, yo, yo slow down. Take your time. Let's see if this person has credibility. Let's see if this per and let's see if you have credibility. Let's see if this person has the capacity to hold you your space when you're freaking out and allow you and and them to have a conversation where you can like problem solve together. Mm. Right? That's when things shift. I I had a conversation with a client recently where I was like, well, "Give me your checklist." She's like, "I got a checklist. I know exactly what I want in a man." I'm like, "Give me your checklist," and she gives me her checklist, and like her checklist is like things like. I want it to be tall. I want it to be rich. I want it to be funny. I want it to be f like to be ambitious. I want him to be. 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 And I'm like, okay, now tell me like about this guy that you're dating right now. And she's like, well, you know, is that your I, phone? <laughs> no. Oh shit! Is it? <laughs> it is my phone. <laughs> That's the alarm set. Anyhow, sorry about that. Sorry about that. Imagine that happened on the Joe Rogan show. Oh, oh shit. He would kick your ass. He would, would he? do a kimura on your dick. <laughs> I would not like the kimura. I know how to get out of the kimura, actually. There you the go. The hitchhiker one. The yeah. How long have you been doing BJJ now? I, d I started in April. Yeah, I saw I saw you like... I uh, fucking... Because like in Ubud, I think uh, um, Annabella, she's going there to teach there. I know her She was. Well. She's not anymore, but she was. It was really good. Yeah. Cool. Anyway, sorry, you go back to So anyway, <laughs> like, when we, we, we took a look at her checklist, and I'm looking oh, at her yeah. checklist, and I'm like, the only thing that you know about this checklist, about this guy that you're hanging out with that's for sure, is he's tall. Because you haven't taken the time to get to know him. Mm. Is he, he's funny. She's like, but he's funny. He's interesting. He's charismatic. I'm like, you know him on for one day. He's like, he's in his fucking like good mode. What is he like in a month? Yeah. What yeah, is he yeah, like yeah. when times are tough? So far, all you know about him is he's tall. Mm. So just like let everybody like calm down, relax, 
and know that there's a process to creating real, true connections. So that's one of the things that I'm... Well, one th- I, I love this example. Um, I used to watch this TV series, How I Met Your Mother. Mm-hmm. And they have this concept about, uh, like, the group of friends, they would accept a new, whatever, future girlfriend uh, that someone else is bringing in, or a boyfriend, when then they would say, like... And they had this conversation, and the guy or girl would say, like, so what do you think about my new date? And one of them would be always saying, I don't see her or him on the porch as like my, our porch buddies. And what they say by that is that when we're old, we're going to sit on the porch and we're just going to, mm. you know, solve puzzles or whatever. Are we going to like each other still? Mm-hmm. So this is what this is. It takes that next level. Yes, you f- see f- someone f- uh, physically attractive and all these other things. And but th- when you talk to them, it's the good one is like turn the light off. Nothing is, you can't see anyone, and you just talk, talk for an hour, talk for two hours. Do you still have fun? Can you amuse each other, you know? And, and obviously, not just for one night, but like for, for a week, for two weeks. Do you still guys have fun? Do you still challenge each other? That's the biggest one. And especially for me, like if a person doesn't challenge me, I'm, I'm done. It's like yeah, I you want the challenge to also happen in a way that like you feel supported. You don't. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah of Russian course. Russian girls can fucking like challenge you. Yeah, oh shit, it's like you suck in everything. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Look at you. Your father is a bitch. <laughs> Piece of shit. Um, but yeah, okay, cool. So that's what you do with women and men as well. I do that mostly with women right now. Mm. Yeah, like that's it. It just was a natural progression. Um, and I'm happy to do it with men because what I realize, especially in the Russian market, is that women aren't happy, and men are playing this role. It's like. It's not only the Russian market; it's happening in every market. We're yeah. like, we're like, we're well, that's great because you can get the insight from women, and then it's easier for you to deal with men because men would be like, "So why do they do this and why do they do that?" And but it's I also, like, I, I also think in addition is like, it's only cool to talk as a man about women if it's like, yeah, I want to get laid, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, where's the conversation of of I want to have a relationship. I want to meet somebody who's going to make me a better person, who's going to like really support me in my growth. Where is that conversation? Check this out. I just thought about something. Can you imagine if every time time you get laid, you actually would have a child? How much different would be the the the, the sex game, the relationship game? It and you different. get a child, and you have to be there, well, that's supported. What it, that's what it kind of used to be yeah. until birth control. No, but the, the check. But but also then before that, it was also about the properties and all that kind of shit. Right. You know? But but if you think about it, you can have sex with this person, and there's going to be a child. <laughs> that would change a lot. Yeah. But, but let's be honest. Like in the moment of sex, you wouldn't care. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> it's after. It's when you're done. You're like, oh. Say it again. Say it again. Well, let's say like, let's be honest. In the moment of sex, you wouldn't care. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Nice. I want to get one of those toys. <laughs> I have also. That's the most of a time when you say jokes. Yeah. I like. And now Lorenzo is going to tell us how the love works. Love is something that happens moment by moment. Love is kind of like enlightenment in the sense that in any moment you can love anybody. In any moment you can be open. To accept. <laughs> That's like we're done. We're done. I just, sorry, buddy. Um, okay, I so, want one of those. Where do you get those? Um, this place called Internet. 
Okay. <laughs> I love that place. Yeah. Um, let's let's check out your stuff. Uh, what is this? What is this? Tell us what is it going to be before so I start playing I've been doing, it. I've been doing spoken word poetry. Uh, Have you done any Toastmasters before? No, I've never done You never heard of Toastmasters? I've heard of it, but I've never done it. Yeah, because yeah. I've done Toastmasters for a while, and, and I heard of spoke, spoken word. Don't know, really know. what. Can you explain to me what so spoken I word is? So I started doing, I loved rap music growing up, and I started going in Vancouver. They have some, they had an amazing spoken word scene. So I started writing poetry and performing, and I was like, oh, man, this is really hard, because there were some people that were so brilliant at it and made a career out of it. Mm -hmm. And I just, so anyhow, I, something that I started doing that led me to freestyle rapping a little bit, um, when I got into comedy here on Bali, I started realizing two things. Comedy's hard. Mm. And I was doing it in both English and Russian. When I was doing it in English, I realized it's hard. And because it's hard, I need to get better at it. To get better at it, I need to do more often. But I wasn't talking about the things I wanted to talk about. There was like, because the idea and the, and the intention is to be funny, and but you're not good at it. You end up making a lot of dick and poo and, and sex jokes. Yes and no. I can agree and disagree with that. Because uh, uh, dick and poo, th that's very cheap shots. Most of, the, most of the comedians who use most of that stuff... That's cheap shot. There are some guys like even here, like uh, Carlos is a perfect example. Well, he had some about dicks as well, but his most stuff is very intelligent. It's like very like uh, um, uh, David Chappelle, you know, the, that kind of concept. Very intel intelligent comedy. So it could, if you work on it, I can. I would love. To, I just want to encourage you continue doing stand up. You know, and I think those stories what you have from like spoken word i think you can change them in a satiric way and well, still make so a that's, comedy that's what i realized and the, the other thing is i was i was doing stand-up and hosting in russian and i just realized that like culturally it, it, i wasn't funny like i was i'm good at holding space getting the energy up and down introducing people mm. but culturally there was I, again i was not talking about the things i wanted to talk about and but i couldn't get off stage i knew that i needed to keep performing and i was like oh shit i'm going to these open mics for this poetry um and i think you're right i think that the, this if i continue doing this and as i continue doing this is going to like it's funny too in, in some ways so i just go to open mics whenever they're around the thing is i live in ubud now right mm -hmm. and i fucking love it there and i don't ever want to go anywhere because you were just talking about spoken word and it's like I was saying to you before we before we started recording is that it's so cool to see how the comedy scene here in Changu has just blown up. Mm. I just live a really healthy life right now. Like when I was living in Changu, I wasn't living a healthy life. And I would there's a part of me that just wants to like how cool would it be to just focus on comedy all the time, like mm. especially having all these opportunities to perform. You can get good. You can move to Bali and you can become from zero to an intermediate good stand-up comic in probably six years to a uh, six months to a year. I agree and disagree in the same time. I think like right now what we have the main reason why comedy is blowing up in my opinion is because comedy club has a very strict uh, structure and people are working and doing their rehearsals and everything. Um, but in the same time, I think the biggest problem is that the, it's pretty much the same audience all, all the time here. Yeah, that's so that is a big problem. And uh, I think what would work perfectly if this would be like, uh, I would call it a gym. So every week we work on new materials and trying out with our audience. And our audience here, and especially like in Dales, they're so lovely. Like yeah. very rarely. But sometimes you hear someone is shit and they still support them. But and, you, you don't know. get the opportunity to perfect material by doing it over and over and over and over and over again. That's what you're getting to. Uh, yeah. Um, well, no, but we have new material all the time. But, but like, I get that you have new material all the time, but mm. I'm not talking about new material. I'm talking about taking, like, the classic material and working it and working it and working it until it gets to, like, this, like, really crystal place. 
What I think, what I think is uh, much better would be. I think that camera just died. Let me check. Um, yeah, let's let's finish this one. Um, we were talking about comedy. That's the yeah, thing. That yeah, we, yeah, yeah. And we were talking about like how to develop in Bali. And you said you didn't agree that this was a great place to. Develop. I think you can get to the certain level, but then I think you will be kind of um, stat- stagnating. And um, and again, it could be the truth or maybe not. But all I'm saying that y- in order to become a good in anything, you have to be going in different places and performing in front of all sorts of crowds. Because this crowd we have in Bali is quite the same. And like you can go also with the local jokes and stuff as well and what is so relatable. But I'm talking about now if you take this comedy take to UK, you're going to suck big time. Like there's certain things like because we had uh, a couple of days ago, we had this girl who is a British. Uh, she used to do a, a comedy in Britain and she was like, yeah, this probably not, not most likely wouldn't work in UK. So what I'm saying is like to idea to adapt to different places that you can be you know, credible it's everywhere. Such, it's such an interesting question because like we're not really living in a traveling culture right now at all. And like, what does that even mean? Like, what is the future of comedy? Like, do you have to go to a place like New York, Los Angeles, Austin, London? Like, well, if the question is that you want to be the world recognized comedian, I'm you, pretty sure that that's what you should you be doing. Basically have to go to Austin today. Yeah. What's going on in Austin? Why Austin? Joe Rogan. Oh, okay. And all his crew. Yeah, uh, the Texas. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, otherwise you might want to go to like places like Miami or like Los yeah. Angeles or but New York. But at the same time, it could be not truth. Maybe maybe this is the way I think. I just think in order to be, you know, a world level, you should be performing in a w- world there's different this stages. Guy, there's this guy who's like a marketing guru. He makes a lot of money. His name is Alex Hermosi or something like mm-hmm. that. I saw his Instagram post the other day. And he in, in his Instagram post was him speaking to somebody coming up to him and saying, I have $25,000 in my bank account. What should I do with it? Should I invest in crypto? Where should I put it? And he was like, I never had $25,000 in my bank account until I had a million dollars in my bank account because I would take that $25,000 and I would always do it to learning a new skill. Mm. So it's interesting that we have this conversation right now because I'm thinking like if you want to do something, you should probably be doing it, get to some a certain level that I think Bali can take you in terms of learning comedy. You are building a world. Sorry. It's okay. I'm yep. Like learning, like getting to a point where you're at a level where you like are competent and then you want to be like amongst the sharks. True, true. I think, no, Bali, uh, hands down, is an amazing place to start. Like, the community is fantastic, supportive, and very rarely, um, I don't know that much, but I, I don't think there's places where comedians come together and they rehearse together. I don't think that's a very big thing what happens in the UK. Not that I know of. Um, but the way it works here, especially with the up-and-coming comedians who are not very sure, sometimes I write my material, um, I go and I think it's pretty good, and then I pitch to everyone else, and they're like, that doesn't work it's not gonna work you have to be careful with that and stuff like that so and then when i take all those advisors on the board and then i go on stage yes you know it really helps um but when do we start realizing what what is our style i i don't know how long the time takes i've done so far maybe 25 uh performances um so yeah i'm not really sure i think a more interesting question is really what the world looks like right now Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> like, is comedy a thing anymore? 
Like it is on some level, but like, what does the world look like? Like in terms of because you were saying when we were when we stopped recording, like how amazing it would be, and this makes sense in 2019, like to go to Singapore, to go to Bangkok, to go to Hong Kong. Like all of a sudden, you have a little circuit here that you can see potential for it to grow. There's definitely expat markets for English speakers. You can get all the way down to Sydney for it. You can become a world renowned. Like you can use this as a marketplace. You can't do that now. Mm. Yeah. Unfortunately, well, hopefully things are going to change soon, but it doesn't look like Yeah, it's going to do it online. Okay, we are close to our last segment, and last segment is about educating people and stuff, and not educating people, just start talking about book club. I love the, the whole concept of book club, and the books, uh, what you suggested to me, uh, where... I'm going to find it. We can start talking about, straight away, The Beach. The Beach. The Beach is the book which I did not know, and I was trying to do an audio version, and it was a little bit of a struggle. Why? So why did you choose as one of your three books was uh, The Beach? Because I read it. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the only three books you've ever read. It's the only three books I've ever read in my entire life. Um, I just remember The Beach being something that shifted me in my life. All it, right. It really shifted me. It was... Um, a book that I read when I was in my early 20s. Um, later, Leonardo DiCaprio played the lead character in that book. It was about travels, which I look at that book and I'm like, man, like a lot of my life looks a little bit like that. It was an American kid that went traveling, went on an adventure, ended up in Thailand, ended up on an island, ended up in, a, in some kind of community. Mm, mm, there mm. ended up being all these kind of like love triangles involved there that were really uncomfortable as a kid to read. Like here it was hooking up with Richard's girl and, you know, there was marijuana and there was like murder, but not too much murder. It was, And then all of a sudden he got like, th he was out of the Matrix and then he got thrown back into the Matrix at the end. And this is before I knew what The Matrix was. Mm. Um, it's just a book that I've read that whenever anybody asks me, what's your favorite book? It's kind of like the, the go-to answer. I don't know if it's necessarily yeah, yeah. true or not, but it's the go-to answer. The movie was also a beautiful movie. I mean, from what I remember. Yeah, that's the thing. i never seen the movie. And then uh, I think the easiest would be watch a movie first and then we'd do audiobook or read a book. But in the same time, I kind of disagree to that because book gives you this old place for you to use your own imagination, to use your own kind of how would you see that. And an audiobook wasn't probably the best choice for me now because I would be like on a scooter riding somewhere and like jumping off and, and turning it on, turning like it off. Have you ever listened to an audio book that was a novel? Like usually Yeah, it's difficult. It's a different, it's a, it's it's a different ball game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. when you do like self-development books and all that stuff. Yeah, it's, you're it's, just taking information. Yeah. Um, and... Um, no, I, I think the stuff what I took it from it, like it was quite graphic, the way they were telling the certain things were happening and uh, the way the writer was looking. What was the writer's name? Alex Garland. Yeah, so the way the way he wrote it, it was I thought it was pretty 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 interesting. And um, and yeah, the the whole thing on an island, how these uh, relationships and who said what and who and then the the book uh, the 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 narrator did the uh, accents of the because they were people from Scotland, they were people right, Americans, right. The way and I I think oh, in my brain the most was said is that these two Americans they would pretend that they're like dumb American kids, and then afterwards they like actually show that they're intelligent just to prove like um just to say like listen don't stereotype people kind mm, of thing interesting um and then there was this french girl and the the yeah. the the, uh, the reader guy Francois or yeah something. she was he was doing the, her accent and stuff like that that was pretty funny 
Um, okay, so we have two more books, which I read. Uh, uh, one of them I read, and both of them I heard twice in, uh, as an audio version. And actually, uh, especially A Way of Superior Man, that's a book which has been suggested by two other people I know here in Bali. So it feels like all the men here are like reading that book, and um, it's, uh, it's leaving a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, impact. And uh, to me, I thought it was it was very good. Um, so tell me, what what did you choose that? Way of Superior Man. I was introduced to it back in two thousand and seven, so I've been aware of that book for a super long time. But it always starts like it always makes its way around back, especially when you're talking to men. Um, I think that it's a very mm, uh, spiritual variation of like a lot of the teachings that are becoming really important right now so like the tantra community and the spiritual community was looking at these things like masculine and feminine energy where now you have somebody like jordan peterson or somebody mm. like other like people are just like okay what does it mean to be a man we are losing our testosterone in this mm. world because like joe rogan talks about it a lot um we are losing this opportunity that we have had to be these warriors because we are um, making a way to be like the, the nice guy in this new culture. Um, and it's really fucked up culture in general because women, as they're becoming more and more successful, they're still looking to date up. Like, it's just like natural, like genetics that like a woman wants to date a man that's going to take care of her. Mm. Um, and with men kind of like now being demasculinized, we're like becoming like, you know, like nicer and better and like, and a lot of times less successful because of that, because there was a masculine trait to like be ambitious and push forward. And it's becoming a lot of problems in society because women aren't finding partners. Men also aren't finding partners because men li like to date down like down not like a worse person but down in terms of social economic status but so many women are like now like the prize winners and the academic geniuses mm, mm. and we've like we just messed it all up and this book it takes us back to the just like the basic essence of this conversation so it so we can take it away from the identification with I'm a man and I'm a woman or you know it's more like okay, I'm a woman I'm a, I'm a man <laughs> I'm a woman there we go thank you um, back to these back to understanding that masculinity and femininity they are what I would call an essence or an energy and like we all inhabit these traits mm. what it means to be masculine what it means to be feminine a man can be sensitive a woman can be ambitious yet in the core there are still the things that are most true to us and by understanding this and having this at least at the level of conversation, we can start to find a balance to them. So, and then that's a lot of the work that I do with the people that I work with too, just to have them become aware of these things and then implement them. And no, that's great. I, I found this book um, is something that definitely changes our society and also explains certain things what people struggle with. Like, so how do we deal with the, with you know very very strong women who are like I don't need men in my life I can do this all by myself or whatever or then uh, how you said the demasculinizes men as well and it's like well but this is what society says this is what how we have to be and then there's some men become these fake feminists as well but I'm like I'm feminist man with you guys um, <laughs> it is it's 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 uh, it's just interesting definitely definitely interesting book to read and. Uh, 
you know the idea of this is to su- suggest people to have to check it out check it out it's a great definitely book. check it out and and understand also like how like it explains these certain feelings like well as a man i was like i feel this way i feel that way is that wrong is this right what is there's what, also what, a good book on? there's also a good book that the author i forget his name stefan something he wrote it's called the hard times creates strong men mm-hmm. and he uses a lot of david like this book in a more modern perspective. So that's oh, right. another one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then the third book was Awaken a Giant Within. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that book is pretty much the, like the basics for everything almost. It's like, like just to say to everyone, you have a giant inside you. You have, s- you have a potential. And I remember I would go back home to Latvia to my little town uh, where, I, where I was raised and I would go to school and uh, actually arrange with my English teacher. I would arrange like these little meetups with like t- with uh, with the class with the kids, especially the ones who are about to graduate, and just to kind of try to say, listen, guys, you know, all of us we have a potential. It doesn't matter where you, where you're from, and it's just there's certain ways we can open it. And uh, the main one is consistent work and stuff. Um, so yeah, this book was very very big for me. Uh, I read it a while ago now as well. Same. I remember from that book, Anthony Robbins saying. If you can't, you you must, and if you must, you will. Mm. I really like that. Well, I mean, that was a really an amazing book. That really shifted my life. I remember being um, at, towards the end of a, or at the end of a relationship that was heartbreaking. That really shifted my social life when I was living in Hong Kong. And I, I read this book, and not only read this book, but I started taking in Tony Robbins. This was like the beginning of YouTube, just like watching YouTube videos, motivational videos of him speaking, like going deep on it. And it really shifted, really created a, a plateau for me and, and a platform. What about speaking? Do you uh, have you considered to do like public speaking in the sense of like inspiring speaking? Yeah, but how would you do that? I've, I've, always, I've done it. Like as a yoga teacher, that's exactly what I do. I might just say down dog and then I'll go and talk. That's what I do basically. How would you do it in terms of like becoming a speaker? That's true. That. that is that is true. I you mean like you book? start, you, you know. You write a book first. Because one of the, one of the um, um, uh, my guests, he did, uh, he's done some TED, TED Talk um, speeches and he's a, we met each other in a Toastmaster club and he's been doing a lot of public speaking since. Like he would be having. Like even now? Even now, uh, like online speaking now. Well, I think like in the UK, it's pretty pretty okay. safe now to do all of those things. All right. It's not too bad. And um, and he said that one of the ways how he got on te- TED Talks was not like someone found him. He literally applied himself to like five or six different conventions. And they were finally uh, like, yeah. And then yeah, they were like, and then okay, now he can can do this. And now he for a living. Uh, that's when he, f- I think that's all he does. He used to be he used to work for a law company. But um, like f- uh, he goes to these co- companies, uh, like corporates, and then they he does the speeches and about different subjects. Cool. Um, so I'm pretty sure you would be very good at it. You know. You yeah, I'd love to do that. I mean, that's what I love to do in general. Like mm-hmm. the poetry's in that direction, and everything I talk about, and the yoga it gives me all kinds of exercises. I yeah, think that and that guy work. also started uh, became a yoga teacher, and he said like, yeah, uh, he actually suggested to me the book. Um, warrior, warrior, warrior's pause. Uh, I think it's called Warrior's Pause. It's about this guy who uh, broke his back. Um, um, the peaceful warrior, David uh, Daniel Millman. 
so how did you say it? The peaceful warrior. The peaceful warrior. Mm, not no? sure. I think it was okay. a warrior's boss. It does. So it's basically about this guy who was this very famous, ex- um, uh, very well-known um, journalist who was traveling the world, mm. and he was like in these very hot areas of the war zones and all that stuff. And uh, he just did a stupid thing, and he fell on his back, broke it, Fuck. but didn't really do anything about it. So he still could move around, and he was he went heavy on um, as, uh, like um, painkillers. And uh, in a certain period of time, he got ad- addicted to it really bad, and then he hurt himself again where he couldn't move at all. And he, they literally took him to a rehab because his family was like, that's it, took him to the rehab, stuff it, stuff it. <laughs> <laughs> Such an ass. <laughs> at least your name's spelled right. <laughs> I just looked over. I'm like, I kept looking at how you wrote Moses, and I'm like, Oh, was that's for me? That's my name. I know, but I'm looking at it, and I'm like, I've never like it looks cool, and I was like, I've never seen anybody write it like that before, and I didn't even think of it, and then I saw how you wrote Kanye West, <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, okay. Oh my god, this I gotta edit this out. I never edit stuff out, but I'm gonna edit this out. <laughs> no, I won't. Um and yeah, so what, what I was talking about. God, I'm I'm on detox on my third day. I'm just what drinking are you eating? Ju- juices and, and soups. Like my brain doesn't work properly. <laughs> Bro, I fucking love detox. Yeah, I that's what happened with me when I was trying to d- give a comment to that video. <laughs> just went like, uh. <laughs> um what I was saying. What was I saying? You were saying that um Jamie, what did I say? <laughs> oh, that he's a public speaker and he started as a yogi. And he, oh, yeah, yeah. And then basically he got to, uh, his family was very worried about him and they got the uh, inter- interv- intervention and they got him uh, to a rehab. And like proper, like getting all the rid of all the pills and everything. But he was in a crucial, crucial place. He was like dying. And then he found that they had a special program where they do like as a retreat, they did the yoga and he got into that and he became crazy about it and he literally healed himself so fixed his back and then he got cancer he got to got rid of cancer and all that stuff so yeah you should check it out warrior pose warrior yeah. pose yeah. yeah warrior pose warrior pose like got it. yeah got it um yeah and so cool awesome that's books let's talk films now um did not have time to watch a uh, few good men uh, field of dreams or the obama deception <laughs> deception the Obama deception, like like Barack Obama. Yeah. <laughs> okay, few good men. <laughs> Next time I have to be careful with my homework. Jesus Christ, I can't put this on the screen. Um, yeah, so few good men. A few good men. That's uh, Tom Cruise, who I loved as a kid growing up, and mm. Jack Nicholson. You can't handle the truth. Oh, okay, I remember this one. He, uh, that's the uh, Tom Cruise was playing uh, um, Colonel. The uh, like a lawyer who yes, was like, yes, yeah. with the navy. Yeah, I love that movie. You so can't much. handle the truth. That's I did a play of that movie. Well, of that, uh, the play of the play, once upon a time. But I always loved that movie. Always mm-hmm. loved. I always, I loved Tom Cruise growing up. He was just like playing. Like he was sick. Yeah, he was so cool. And like, like when I finally actually worked with him on a set, and I was like, he called my name. Oh really? Yeah. He's like, Renars, get yeah. over here. You're in Scientology. No, <laughs> no, not like that. So basically, what we did, uh, Mission Impossible, the one which was released, and not the one which is about to be finished. 
And uh, so like three years, four years ago, and there was a scene where basically I need to come in as a baddie to attack Tom Cruise and this, this girl. And uh, so this girl, she basically turns around and she slashes my face with a knife. And so we couldn't get the timing right because as I was walking in, because she, she can't see me. So she kind of, uh, someone told her, oh, when this guy does this, this one, he turned around. Every time she did, whether I was too early or was too late. And then Tom, he was like, okay, this is it. And he's like, Renard's. And he looks at me, Renard's. Yeah, we never spoke before. And he knows, yeah, it's a freaky thing about him. He knows all the names. Um, every time he start, gets on set, if he works with the st- uh, stunt guys, he knows the names. So he looks at me, he's like, Renard's, listen. So let's do this. When I give you this look, and he would just kind of like, like that. So if I, that's your like cue. Like the Tom Cruise yeah, look. That's the cue for you to come in. So he literally like talks uh, uh, with this actress that does the thing. And then he gives me this look, like this piercing look across the room. And then I'm coming, and I, that's why I'm coming out. And we got, uh, we got the shot and, and caught. And I'm on the floor dead. And then he comes over, extends his hand like, oh, now as you see, like if we work on it, we get this done. You know, I was like, it was very professional, efficient, and anytime is he, is he genius? Like from that moment, were you like, "Whoa, this guy is genius," or were you like, "I oh, just another human being"? Like, what did you like? I he is my idol from the beginning, and that is like the dream. I would be a dream come true to get to be in a room with him. Well, the first of all, the uh, when he gets on the set, that that this is the thing with any stars. Like, I had the most starstruck I've ever been. I was I worked with Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. And uh, with Samuel E. Jackson, like uh, Ryan Reynolds, uh, with Ryan, I was quite starstruck as well. He would, he would. There was a scene where he, they shoot me and they step over, cut. He comes back, he extends his hand. It's like, oh, are you okay? Like, oh, my name, my name is Ryan. It's like, oh, my name is Renard. It's nice to meet you. <laughs> it's like I wanted to say, like, what? What is your name? Well, is it Ryan? Oh, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. But so yeah, with all these stars, that's the thing. You don't know what kind of a face they're putting on when they're on the set. You know, like they could play the nice guy the whole time and whatever, just to just because they're so aware that there are th- hundreds extra around, and then they would maybe some of them would see something and they write something about them and things like that. So with Tom was like when he step on the set, everyone went silent because everyone God. knew. Cause God, no, because no, all, that's one thing. But the other thing, everyone knew it's business time. It's like now he's a let's, too, let's cut right? the shit. Yeah, well, he's it's his like Mission Impossible, his baby. You know, that's he's not just an actor on it. So he every all the decisions what they were making about the film was with the with the director. So usually the director calls the shots. But then there's certain things. Then Tom goes like and he talks to the director and then they make the decision together. So yeah. But, yeah, what I got from him there, it was just, like, he was very professional, done his thing, very efficient, no fucking around. If he would hear someone talking loud, loud or whatever, like, straight away would be taught, to, told off and stuff like that. But as a, I would be very curious to have Tom as a real person, to, like, like me and you just talking. But also probably with cameras, it wouldn't be a real person. That's the problem, you know? Mm. And, and it's tough business because you play, you know, according to the, the rules of the game. You can't just go and... Blah, like me, like I don't care, you know. Right. Well, you know, I, mean, I, I don't, I don't have million, million followers or whatever, like. But, but for someone like Dwayne or for someone like Kevin Hart, like these big, big stars, like Kevin Hart, who got in trouble and he yeah. couldn't host the freaking Oscars because long time ago he yeah. did this gay joke, yeah. you know. And it's like stuff like that. It's um, we're yeah. fucked. Like we're fucked if we ever get to that level of stardom. <laughs> we're fucked. Okay, I went a little detour there. So a few good men, very fantastic film with Tom Cruise. Field of Dreams is that the one where. 
where it's like you build it and they come. Yeah, if you build it, they will yeah, come. Yeah, that was a sick film. That is a sick film. I love baseball. I'm a huge baseball fan. Oh, yeah, you used, used to play. L- what is the difference between softball and baseball? Baseball, well, softball is like a big ball, and like they pitch underhand. It's like it's like a kid's version. Not that now there's like a professional variation, and like it's, but they play with a big ball, and everything's a little bit shorter and and stuff like that, like in terms of distances and stuff like that. Baseball or is like a smaller ball everything's bigger it's like this adult variation 60 feet six inches to the basis 90 feet between the mound and home plate and it's faster just a faster game the ball smaller harder do you agree when they call say a baseball it's more like a skilled based game instead of like athletic based game well, that's because what Joe Rogan says, right? Yeah, Joe Rogan talked like, about that. I remember him saying that. Yeah, because like if you compare like the physicality of some uh, Greco-Roman fighter or like the wrestlers, who's like they, they literally they stand on their heads and they throw other person around, and then compare it to a baseball. No, it's definitely a more skilled game. It's a very specific game, but like we're living in an era of everybody wants to play it, so everybody's very athletic these days too. It's not mm. like the old days where the fat guy used to do it. There's still fat guys doing it with a cigar it, and the shit. There's like. still fat guys that like you know like make these appearances, and you're like, oh, okay, but it's less and less happening. I think also because everybody has the ability and facilities to get in shape now. But um, it's a skill-based game. You're, you have to hit a ball that's being thrown at you anywhere from 65 to 110 miles an hour. Like, mm. that's a skill. You have to be able to catch a ball that's coming at you, whether on the ground or in the air, you know? You have to be able to throw a ball. Like, it's all skills, right? That's well, running as well, though. Running also. Would that, everyone that's the most athletic thing. Maybe the running and the actual the moment of contact of hitting the ball but like it doesn't matter how strong you are if you're if you don't have history hitting a ball you're not going to touch it yeah, yeah, yeah gotcha cool and uh so f- field of uh, dreams uh, well it's all about this guy who basically starts seeing these guys appearing and then they were like if you build a f- pitch for us then we're gonna come it's a beautiful film because it has to do with the history of baseball and mm. like the history of baseball is also the history of america and it has to do with this guy um Ray Kinsella, Ray, Ray, mm. remember? And James Earl Jones in that movie too. He's having these dreams about, he's got a house, uh, a house slash farm in Iowa. He's supposed to turn his cornfield into a baseball diamond. If you build it, they will come. And then who ends up coming back is his dad. But along with his dad mm. who comes back is the 1919 Chicago White Sox, which were known as the Black Sox because they where they lost the World Series, but then every single player on that team was suspe- was eliminated, or what do you what do they call it? Was like eliminated or suspended or lifetime suspension from baseball because they found out that the team threw the World Series. Oh right, yeah. Well, listen, this film was n- quite difficult for me to watch in the sense that um, I don't know anything about baseball. That's like hard. A, yeah, so it's like if you don't know the history and stuff like that. But there are certain things like from acting perspectives and like I, I remember the most because I was quite young when I watched this. Uh, at the most, what I remember that idea that people don't believe in you, you know, and then doesn't matter what other people think. If you are convinced that this is going to be successful and it's going to work, then I should just do it. You know, and this is this is our reality around. Well, it's also the risk, the truth the risk of the that success. He took. Yeah, because he was basically he was losing his farm. He would lose th- his They were farm, re- really fucked. He, yeah, yeah. And uh, the risk that he took. And like, I think it's like a, you look at investments and stuff like that. Like you have to take a risk to make money. Exactly. So that's what I took for it. But uh, And then we have 
We're not going to talk about the third film. Why uh, not? Why are we going to talk? <laughs> you you tend to stay away from anything controversial. Is that like that's by choice? We don't. No, actually, I haven't seen this film. Oh, that's why you don't want to talk. I could let me just tell you about it. Okay. So you know who Alex Jones is? Maybe. He's like the conspiracy theory guy. It's like, hey, Alex Jones. He goes on the Rogan show all the time. He says like the you know like the the reptilians are coming for you. <laughs> Okay. So, um, <laughs> that's beautiful. <laughs> 2008, right before Obama became the president, I just remember like being like so bought into like, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Hope. It looked like, yes, this is going to be amazing. I was living in Hong Kong and I was like, we're going to have a black president. This guy is going to change the world. He's, he's, he's running on change. And then Alex Jones comes out with this movie, The Obama Deception, which actually just tells you that Obama is actually in cahoots with all the bankers, and it's just one big conspiracy theory. And I was like, <laughs> wah, wah, wait, 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 wah. we have we have sound for it. No. <laughs> yeah, that's how I felt. Like it's like like the a few days before Obama became the president, and like the entire Western world was like thinking, like now finally we've done it—a black president. So, but how much of it is the truth? How much is it proven that it's not, bro? It's bro, all true. <laughs> it's all it's all fucking true. Okay, bro. like everything that we like, it's all true. Fucking Obama's okay. a fucking blood drinking adrenochrome guy. Like it's. Well, all that's true. one of the things. But for me, I I don't I never follow politics, but I watch Joe Rogan once in a while, right? And then Joe would talk about that, you know, actually whatever Obama done didn't do much. No, he was good. bad. What he it was, was really what he was, was a good front man. He was a good front man. He was he a good speaker. Yeah, he was <laughs> he a good was speaker. A good like, public that's appearance. why Anthony Robbins would be the best president of all time because he's the best speaker of all time. Yeah. But I mean, in terms of like doing good, he did good for um, the self-esteem of black people because they were a, like finally able to see a leader that was black. Mm. But in terms of politically doing anything, that guy is like not a fucking good person. Right. Okay, the last thing we have is people. Buyak, buyak, a jungle is massive. That's not a song what Kanye West would sing. But Kanye West is one of your people, Joe Rogan is one of your people, and Moses yeah. with all three. So which one do you start with? Let's, let's start with Kanye. Let's start with Kanye. Let's do it. Well, what do you want to say about him? What do you want me to say about well, him? Why do I like him? Why did I choose him? Yeah, I mean, I met Kanye once upon a time. That's like that oh, was a, that was a really cool experience. Actually, can I tell you the story? Yeah, of course. Um, I was in Hong Kong. I go to a concert. It was Kanye's concert. The, the 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 Neptunes, like Pharrell, was was backing up. I end up like getting backstage and hanging out backstage. And the backstage was really cool because there was like Andre Three Thousand from Outkast was there. Um, Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen had been there. Like I was hanging out with them, drinking like, drinking beers and smoking cigarettes. I was like, this is fucking so cool. What's going on right now? Trying to get them to come to my yoga class. They didn't come. Um, I like how the yoga class drinks beer and smoking cigarettes. Yeah, I was like, so that Perfectly together. Yeah, but I, I don't just like just come to my yoga class. I also asked Andre three thousand. I'm like, you do some hot yoga. Come to my class tomorrow. He's like, yeah, I'm uh, going back to uh, Guangzhou tomorrow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, yeah, I'm not interested. Anyhow, I had a friend. Her name is Anki, and she um, finally, like, right before Kanye's concert, Pharrell was performing, and it was very free. We can go on stage, all the backstage people. So we went on stage and just like hanging out while Pharrell's playing. Like it was such a cool moment. And at the same time, it was so casual, like no big deal. And my friend Anki comes up to me. She's an actress model from Germany slash Hong Kong. And we just started talking. And as I'm talking to her, like, like the way that I'm facing you right now, right 
up comes Kanye and puts his arm around her, and now it's just like he's looking at me, and like, and I'm just like, holy fuck, it's fucking Kanye West. Holy fuck, it's fucking, you know, like I'm like, he's like my height, maybe even a little, can't be shorter than me, but he was like my <laughs> height, and I just remember looking at him. And I was like, man, you're a beautiful man. Like, you're just so beautiful. Like, I just remember, like, his like, fucking goatee was nice and his skin was good. And, like, and he, like, give me, like, we gave these each other, like, the bump it. It was such a cool moment. And then, no joke, this happens. Girl sees us and starts going, oh, my God, it's my yoga teacher. Oh, my God. And I was like, in that moment, like in front of Kanye, feeling like I'm the coolest guy in the world. Is it a true story? Just make hundred percent true story. That is insane. Hundred percent true story. So I go and talk to this girl because <laughs> I'm thinking like I, she's a fan. I need to deal with her, you know. <laughs> Kanye, thinking in my head that Kanye will always be accessible to me. Go and talk to her. And obviously he's gone. He's gone, and I never saw him turn, again. Don't turn away from microphone. I told you, one oh. thing doesn't do. You well, were just doing it for the whole story. Fuck. <laughs> I, no, did, I did so good. Like, I will need to edit out now your fucking Kanye story. Four hours. <laughs> four hours of no so mistake. Good. And then the Kanye story. Anyhow, that's my Kanye that's story. That's a sick Kanye story. Yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> but the, Oh, my God, it's my yoga teacher. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's the funny. Did you use that for stand-up? No, but now Dude, that I'm telling it sick, to you, that's a This would be a hilarious story. Awesome. Um, listen, Joe Rogan, we could talk about him for a fucking million years. So like we're not gonna. That, that guy, for me, it's it's just, um, I don't know, it's just such inspiration in, in so many ways. I'm like, I don't I don't even know where to start. Like, some of the funny things he was saying, like, okay, I will tell one, one thing what he was saying about him. He never could masturbate and come before he would actually have sex with a girl. And that was me. You can never masturbate and come before he would have sex with a yeah. girl. Like Enough. you couldn't masturbate about the girl until he had sex with her. No, you, you you can masturbate about anything. You watch erotica, porn, whatever. It doesn't matter. But I could never come. He could never come either. During masturbation? No, no. he <laughs> yes. So you can't come with just masturbation before you actually had real sex, like sex with a woman. Like in his life. In his but life. But now he can. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah. Now you can. No, like so for me it was like I could do first first time I could ever come was after I actually had sex with my girlfriend at the time. I think that's, like, I think I'm similar, actually. I don't remember exactly. Oh, fuck, we're not that special anymore. <laughs> you, I thought you, it was just me and Joe. <laughs> nobody taught me how to masturbate. <laughs> well, my dad sat one day on the edge of my bed, and he said... In Latvia. Yeah. Did he really? Put your dick out. <laughs> and no, get, of course not. Here's some olive oil, son. I will start it up for you. Oh, my God. <laughs> Gross. This just got funny. Oh, uh, <laughs> no, bro, no. I nobody taught me how to masturbate. I remember going to like high school and what have you, and everybody was like, you know, jerk off, jerk off, you know, like you, you, you go, fucking come on the cookie, come on the cookie. <laughs> <laughs> My friends, like before, I was friends with them. We're having like these jerk off parties, and I was like, I was never jerk off parties. Yeah, like apparently they would get together and like watch like porn together, <laughs> and then they would like all jerk off together. I'm like. I, don't, I never did that. It's the Jewish kids that went to Jewish day oh, camp. Oh, shit. It's when they went to Jewish day you camp. You guys had like a proper party there with, as Jewish kids. I, I actually used to work as a performer on bar mitzvahs. Oh, did you? I still have a video where I did pole acrobatics on bar mitzvah. Wow. It was a very fancy bar mitzvah in the middle of London in a very fancy um, uh, hotel well, called, ba called Barclays. Okay. And it was, the girl, it was uh, a girl and she had four sisters. They were so beautiful. 
I was like, wow. Bat mitzvah. That's called a bat mitzvah. Yeah, bat mitzvah. mitzvah. Yeah, sorry, yeah, bat mitzvah. Yeah, for girls, it's bat mitzvah. For boys, bar mitzvah. And uh, those go- girls were gorgeous. It was, yeah, I was like, what is the deal? People say that Jewish people are not that pretty. Well, um, when they're like London affluent Jewish people, yeah, yeah, yeah. that you're talking about like the 1%. <laughs> <laughs> you're, not ta- you're not talking about Jews. Dude, I did my bike uh, driving license. Uh, I remember I would go practice and there's an area where only like super Orthodox Jews live. Yeah, not so pretty. Yeah. I mean, some might be. You just can't tell based on what they're wearing. Mm. So, <laughs> smell like moths. <laughs> what, what kind of Jewish person you are? How do you say properly? What that kind of Jewish you are? What kind of Jew are you? No, but Jew is not right to say. It's not. It's, Why not? It's not peace. It's not, well, you can say that. I can't say <laughs> you it. You can say Jew. Uh, can I? You can say Jew. You no. already, first of all, you say you say you said Jew is not say. If I said the N word, <laughs> I say the N word's not okay to say. Right? You could say it. You said it. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, in Latvia, we uh, no, we have Jewish people. Oh my god, I, mean, I can't. In go Riga that. only, and no, then, no, no. and then Yermolas. No, Latvia, it's like crazy. Like, I remember we went to this uh, cemetery, w- which happened after the World War II. There's this massive cemetery and stuff. Um, yeah, we have, uh, we have. well, I, actually, one of my uni uni uh, mates was a Jewish person. But I ne- we never really, like, talked that there's this distinguishing, like, it's like people, people, like, this is the thing, like, well, only I think when that, I like, in Europe, it's like that. I think that in Canada, like, because we all identify even yeah, more, right? exactly. But I had a conversation with, like, a prospective client recently, this woman that's Russian, and she was like, so I uh, used to have this job, and I left it, and I'm like, why'd you leave it? And she's like, well, you know about Jewish people, don't you? And I'm like, mm-hmm. She's like, well, my boss was Jewish. And I'm like, Okay. And like I just looked at her and I'm like, just want you to know, just like for full disclosure, I'm Jewish. <laughs> wow. But that's yeah, it's interesting when when it becomes like you, everyone has to walk on nut uh, nutshells and stuff. It's just nutshells, eggshells, nutshells, <laughs> on eggshells about the subjects because like in in Latvia, not none of us like I would say like I'm Catholic. Boom. So what what do we do now? Or like no one really cared, but it's a funny one it's like almost ignorance but it's also like we don't really does it really matter we just all treat each other equally i don't know how did joe rogan get us to jews i don't know because we didn't even get to moses yet no (laughs) you saying that you used to dance oh no it was because i was masturbating and i couldn't come and then you you start talking about bring it back bring it back kids hanging out and masturbating together dude (laughs) i remember like being on like jewish trips with like girls like on the bus like meeting like girls like for the first time and being like oh we're jewish okay like before the jewish girls like represent yeah like before the jewish (laughs) girls like there was like a a different level of attraction once the jewish girls were in the house i was like okay now i'm amongst my own and like i remember being on a bus ride for like 10 12 something like that 24 hours with a girl and like fucking like Itching. Blue balls, blue balls, <laughs> and then like finally, like just like wet, dr- like w- like just coming, like not being able to control it. That oh, was wow. way before my masturbation. That's crazy. I don't even masturbate anymore. Yeah, wait. Let's just stop this because I think the cameras need to be charged. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the last last thing, what Lawrence was saying that he's doesn't masturbate anymore. Why don't you masturbate anymore? <laughs> I'm like, I've been really doing my best to be able to, what, what we say, contain my seed, you know, like take that energy and <laughs> that's, well, if you have masturbate too long, that sound is how it comes out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, okay, masturbation, Jewish people. Uh, well, circumcised yeah, penises. Uh, circumcised penises. Um, yeah. Did you, when you grow up, like, did you kind of talk to your dad? Like, dad, I didn't even have to say in whether to get masturbated or not. Masturbated <laughs> or circumcised. Circumc- <laughs> <laughs> I need some food. I'm dying. <laughs> oh, my We're God. Gonna, we'll get you a banana shortly, young man. <laughs> I have some spirulina in the fridge. I have some smoothie there. Okay, we need to wrap. We can need to finish this. Uh, okay, Joe Rogan. So the reason I like the guy, he's fucking amazing. I love that he's a pioneer for podcast. Uh, I love the concept that he does the vi- variable variety of things, and he he be- basically says that he feels like he has a sickness of that. And he just does so many different things, and he n- doesn't know when to stop. And I can totally relate to that. And and I think like if he wouldn't become a martial artist, he would definitely would be a good stuntman because he likes oh, different yeah. different things to do. But what he does is just representing that like you can do all sorts of things. He's very 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 busy, you know. But uh, I I would love to, and which I am doing pretty much already. So because of he he actually inspired me to do BJJ, inspired me to do stand up and podcast. It's like what else can I say? So yeah, that's me. Nice. Why you like him? I, uh, I love his podcast. I love that he's he talks about all the things that we talked about today. Like he's like a dude, like he's a masculine dude that t- that has meathead. Like, they call it instance. well meathead, but that has this like sensitive way of going about him too. You talk oh, yeah, about 100%. things that, and I think that all of a sudden, all the things that I was interested in, from keto to cold water plunge to self development to all of them, comedy yeah. to, I mean jujitsu. I started doing because of him too. Um, he, I was living in Russia and watching his podcast and just being like, I want to smoke a joint and hang out with my friends and just talk. Like, I really wanted to have that kind of camaraderie in my life. He, I, his voice is just a big voice. I don't necessarily, like, I also have criticism of him lately, like, in terms of he's such a powerful man, and I can only imagine what it's like when you have so many people listening to you and you have, you know, so much mm-hmm. attention on you. Um. I feel like he's a, he's smarter than he lets on about many things, and we don't have to get into that because that could be a whole other conversation. But um, I really appreciate his interview style. I really appreciate that he's a fifty-four-year-old man that feels young. Like there's there's something about him that feels very young. I th- also think that that share of those advices and just to share that. He's like, we all can be healthy. We all can live longer. We all can have a better life. And he always, I love that every time he has a guest, he's like, oh, I'm going to give you this juice. I'm going to give you that stuff. I'm going to give you this kind of uh, uh, supplements or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah, get, yeah, just yeah. get in touch with my guy. I get you this coffee. And he, and he keeps saying, like, he just loves to be nice. He says it's all about being nice, which is, yeah. which is great. Yeah, I'm down with it. I dig it. Sick. We love you, Joe. You know, yeah. one day uh, maybe you see this. We just love you. Uh, and then Moses, right next to Joe Rogan. Yeah. What's the deal with that beardy, beardy dude? He was the one who started smoking weed, according to really? <laughs> Joe Rogan. Because Moses was the one who started selling about the plates and stuff and what God wrote on that the shit. The plagues, the plagues, yeah. The, the plates, plates of the written stuff. And he basically would go to that bush. We, he was talking about the burning bush. And they were... You think that that was marijuana? That's what they were saying. They st- saying there was some kind of a not DMT, uh, some kind of thing. What, yeah, influenced them, and they would start talking about all this nonsense about God and shit. <laughs> well, I don't know. I just shout out to all the re- religious people. Yeah, What's up? I love Moses. I, I think like that's always, like the the Exodus story of the Hebrews exiting Egypt has always just been like a narrative that's been big in my life. I always loved as a Jewish holiday when I was more 
observant or celebratory. I went to Hebrew school and stuff like that as a kid. Like, I just love that holiday. I love the movie. There's a movie called Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. There's a great cartoon movie called um, The Prince of Egypt. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Mariah Carey does some music in that. I think it's all yeah, kinds I think of I've seen Prince like, of Egypt. I just love the story. I love the story. Like, it's a, it's a little Buddha-esque in terms of Moses, like, finding out as a, pr- as a young prince that he's not actually Egyptian and the slaves are his people. And then like he, he decides, no, and I, like he goes on his hero journey basically where he has mm. to confront his father or like the man that raised him and be like, let my people go. You know, like that's something that's amazing. And then after like finally like him and God collaborate on the seven plagues and the it rains frogs and all the waters turn into blood and he kills the firstborn of every Egyptian. Then finally Pharaoh's like, just let them go. Fine, go. And then the Ru- and then all the I was gonna say the Russians. And then all the <laughs> the, the Hebrews. The, the Vikings the come Hebrew, from after generations, it's crazy. After generations of Is I loud there? No, no, it's fine. <laughs> after generations I, can't, I just can't hear myself anymore with you. This is the first time when I have such a loud guest. <laughs> I need to turn your thing down. <laughs> Especially when you go into fucking beast mode. Generation G. What the fuck? Who knows the shit about Moses, man? After generations. <laughs> is this what he, they taught you in Hebrew school? Yes, fuck yeah. Jeez. After generations of slavery, the Hebrews literally were like packed up and went overnight. Like, it was literally, like, general, imagine just, like, living in this place, and this is just fucking life, and it sucks for sure, but this is it. And then, all like, overnight, let's get the fuck out of here. Everybody, like, pack up their cattle, Boom. pack up their bags, and they're going and going and going, and then the Egyptians are like, no, you can't go. We changed our mind. And then Moses parts the Red Sea, and the Red Sea opens up. Loud again? I think you're going to play some <laughs> <laughs> the, the Red Sea music. Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, that's good. Say that again. Parts the Red Sea. And the crazy thing is, is the Red Sea parts, the Hebrews go through it, and then the Egyptians run right after them into the Red Sea, and then God closes the Red Sea back up. You know, that's a story. It's a legend. It never happened. <laughs> okay, on this note, uh, I think we should wrap it up. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we're babbling here for a while now. It's still good, though. But I feel like our bell curve is, like, staying up high. Yeah, I think, Lawrence, it was really nice to actually have you here. Um, how do you say your full name, Lawrence? J? Lawrence J. My actually full name is Lawrence Milman. Milman. Lawrence Jacob Milman. That's your full name, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I go by Lawrence J because I like the Blue Jays. Oh, do you? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> just tell people how to find you. You I can find me on Instagram at Sabaka at L A W R E N C E J A Y double underscore. Or you can go to Lawrence J one word YouTube. Um, or you can just call me. I'll give you my phone number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can easily do that because it's probably going to be like three people going to like going to actually call you. I just want to see if it's real. <laughs> yeah, am I not? Um, and yeah, and as the last thing I usually ask people, tell me what you would suggest someone who is struggling with. Uh, well, you have so many things to tell. But just keep it concise. Ooh, new word. Um, I actually have a YouTube channel where I explain words. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I had like 30 words. When I, the first pandemic happened, I was sitting at home and just, and today we're going to talk about um, a fluorescent or something like that. And I would just and, and I would explain it and then give uh, examples, definition, all that stuff. And I got a lot of subscribers, actually. How where, many? Where, well, like 
from just posting them doing nothing, like 200 something. Nice. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we should do that. Maybe we're yeah. getting more successful. We should do it together. I would love to do word. Dude, we could do it together. Word yeah. of the day, but then you have to come to Chengu all the time. Or you can come to a booth. You're leaving anyway. But I have all the equipment here. Ridley Scott's movie. Really, uh, baby, it's gonna be fun. Maybe, okay, maybe you can put in your uh, in your rider that you need an assistant or something. You know, and I'll just come with you and like hang out with Ridley. Yeah, that's how it works. That I will tell that I need an assistant, and I'm never gonna work again, probably. Okay, <laughs> so then forget about that. What? Just, just a couple of wisdom uh, words of wisdom to our listeners, to someone who is struggling in between, like figuring out what they want to do with their lives, or just suggestions for um, someone who needs a little push of getting better or getting to their goals start getting up early you got to get up early i like getting up at four or five in the morning even if that's too early get up at six seven whatever get up early and do a cold water plunge man do a cold water plunge even if it's hell because like you're like you're gonna have stress and you're gonna have fear around something but that stress and fear creates a sense of adrenaline and over time what happens is you learn how to calm yourself down in the space of fear so it both is going to energize you and teach you while you're energized how to stay calm so do things that shock you but do them consciously Nice one. That's perfect. I can't believe that you just said it like in very short and very smart way. <laughs> well, that's what you asked for me. You're like, you know. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with the plunge, plunge pool, and uh, waking up early. Like this morning, I did um, swim. I did my fascia uh, pressure point because um, I need that because I have tight, tight, tight legs and, and ass. And then I went straight away to yoga, but it turned into capoeira because <laughs> the yoga teacher bailed. And then I did Muay Thai. And, I, and at 10 o'clock, I was over in cold, cold bath and doing sauna. Nice. I do. I wake up every morning with like a six, seven, eight minute, like free. We have a freezer at home. Oh, that's nice. That's so very, very, very cold. nice. Yeah. So cold, but it works. Yeah. Awesome, Lawrence. Thank you so much for being Thank here. Thank you, Lawrence, for the invite. It was so much fun. I'm probably going to need to edit like 95% of it. but <laughs> Really? No, I'm going to leave everything. Oh. Everything's going to be there. The 8-hour podcast. Nice one. With the music. Show me your dance. Do you have a dance? Ecstatic dance. How does ecstatic dance dance? Uh, uh, uh. Come on. 